0: B-F-T. B-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano. Here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth.
1: Welcome into the program. I am Peter Sampson along with Stephen Vaughn. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Hope you're having a good one. John Canzano is a... Uh, covering the uh, Pac-12 championship game getting underway later tonight. Hoping we'll get a visit from him in the second hour. Of course, we're going to kick this game around before we hear from JC around 4 o'clock. USC versus Utah, number 4 versus number 11. Trojans win, and they're in the college football playoff. This should be a great game right now. We've got USC favored by 3. And I want to take a minute here, just as we approach the Pac-12 Championship Game, to think about this season. Every season is its own sort of narrative, its own little condensed story, sort of a chapter in a book. And you know, I want to I want to think about what did we learn this season in the Pac-12. I think, well, I, I mean, I think looking at uh, USC being in this game, I think we learned that talent rules at the end of the day, and for the most part. Everything is secondary. Coaching matters more in college, I think, than the pros. It does matter. I'm not saying you can just assemble nothing but talent and roll the ball out there. But, you know, we had a bunch of questions about USC coming into this season. And, well, here they are, the second-to-last team standing, the highest-ranked Pac-12 team. And it's no surprise. Caleb Williamson, Jordan Addison. I mean, Travis died before he got hurt. They added talent. They added, of course, Lincoln Riley, and they got it done. I think we also learned Pac-12 officiating is still bad. I'm going to say it. Right now, Stephen Vaughn, what's the over-under on a controversial call in tonight's game?
2: Uh, I mean, I would put it at one and a half. Let's put it at one and a half over-under because, I mean, there's going to be one for sure, right? There's going to be at least one bad call where we're like, all right, we're going to question that for sure. But is there a second bad call that we remember I'm going to take the over on that, too, Peter. <laughs> uh, I think it's just a total Pac-12 thing to do. And I, you know, honestly, for this game, Peter, all I'm hoping for is a close game. And no bad ref mistakes. Yeah. Know, is that asking for too much? Uh,
1: apparently. Apparently <laughs> it is. So it's a given we're going to get a questionable targeting or non-targeting call. That's just going to happen because it always happens. But the real question is, did someone touch a pylon? Was someone bobbling the ball with one foot in bounds? All of these little things that they inevitably get wrong, it always happens in crunch time. And it always takes away from our enjoyment of the game. Now, Pac-12 Commissioner George Cleary uh he uh, addressed procedural mistakes made by officials this season, of which there were many. Uh, he called them unacceptable, and he said that uh, the conference is going to spend a pretty good amount of time this offseason focused on how to eliminate those errors. Well, I can tell you how. Get better officials. I mean, it's just that simple, but... It frustrates me to no end. I understand officiating is a hard job. I'm cracking on these guys right now, but also, like, I couldn't do it. I fully admit that. It's very difficult. But the Pac-12 has a reputation, and it has a reputation for a reason. And the real thing is, okay— well, is it just football? Is there some that pool that they're getting from, you know, the football officials? Can we tweak that somehow? But I mean, I see the same things in Pac-12 basketball. So you start to wonder if it is some sort of systemic. I don't know if it's the pool, the way they're trained, the level of accountability, but there's something going on there and it needs to be addressed. And I want to give George Klyofkoff the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, this has been an issue well before him. It's sort of like like if you get a new boss. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell this story. So you get a new boss, and they come in, and it's a clean slate, right? They haven't done anything wrong. And then they do something that maybe you don't love. And on its face, by itself, it's not a big deal. But you couple that with the 20 t- related terrible things before they even knew who you were and even came to your company, and then it's just the straw that broke the camel's back, and they're like, uh, what is the problem here? So George Kleopkoff isn't responsible for all the things that came before him, but ultimately, I don't want to just hear, like, well, we're, we're focused on eliminating these uh, errors, and, uh, you know, we are the Conference of Champions, and we're going to do the best that we can. I need it fixed. Stephen. do you have any suggestions how the conference can fix officiating?
2: I mean, I think it's got to be... More, just more resources put into it, right? Like more training, more, uh, just money put into this because at at the, at, you know, like you said, it's a hard job, but not everybody wants to do it. And so I understand, like, you're gonna make some bad calls, but there's just some situations where it's in the whole structure of it where they make these mistakes and it doesn't make sense. They forget a down, they don't know the rules. Like, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's just little things, and it's like, if, I feel like. If you just had enough money, you're training these these guys more and more, it's going to be a little bit better. So I, I don't know. I just think it's training. I have really have no idea, though, Peter. Like, it's just a tough situation because it seems so easy to not make these mistakes, but they do it week in, week out.
1: Right. And, you know, I again, it's a thankless job, and I think a lot of it, and we've kicked this around on this show, I think a lot of it, you know, it comes from, well, at the high school level, the community college level. I mean, you think reffing is a thankless job. You know, in the uh, Division One ranks, I mean, go to high school. It's even worse. You're getting berated. You're just getting a few bucks. It's essentially voluntary community service. It can be fun. I did it uh, when I was a teenager. You know, I, I umpired, and I have mostly fond memories. But I also remember random adults screaming me down for no reason. I mean, really aggressively. And so when that happens, you have a bunch of people who would potentially do this, go, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I'm gonna stay home and just uh play video games. I'm gonna stay home and paint. I'm gonna stay home and stare at my walls, but just not get screamed out by a stranger. Well, enough people do that and you know, say you have a hundred or a thousand of those people, and then that's one that wouldn't that would have gone to the next level that all of a sudden isn't in that pool. I think that's part of it. I think training is a huge, huge issue. I know accountability is delicate at the college level. It's not like the pros. Of course, even the, the pros have issues with accountability themselves. Just look at an NBA last two-minute report any given night. And, uh, oh, so sorry. Yeah, you shouldn't have lost, but you did. Anyway, on to Memphis. Uh, I know it's tough, but cough, I don't know what the answer is. I'm glad he says that it's unacceptable but i I need something beyond that
2: do you do you expect the reps to get it perfect every time because I don't like I think it's just it's one of those jobs where like you said it's very thankless and I don't expect it to be perfect every time I know there's gonna be mistakes it's just these big obvious mistakes that they right. make right like or am I you know it's it's or should I expect more perfect out of them should I, I expect our referees to be perfect because there is replay but like we shouldn't need it
1: yeah, and, and that's the tricky thing is, look, the NFL, or excuse me, college football, high-level football, very, very hard to officiate, especially when we have 4K slow-mo replay. But for getting it down, just skipping it down, letting a series go by, let the ball change hands in a play-by run, and then go, oh, wait, 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 yeah, we missed that. We're just going to pretend the last three plays didn't happen, and we're going to go back and do that. Well. Even if you do miss a down, which you should never do. You should never do, but it does happen. There is a protocol for that, and they they didn't abide by it. It's like they're just they're playing Calvin Ball. They're just making it up as they go along. So I don't expect perfection. You're always going to have questionable calls. You're always going to have 50-50 calls that, depending on the fan base, depending on who, who looks at them, that's PI. No, it's not. It, you know, that's fine. But these egregious calls that seem to happen weekly in this conference, it's embarrassing.
2: Yeah, I think for tonight, with everybody going to be watching this game, the college football world have their eyeballs on this Pac-12 title game, if there's going to be a mistake, let's just not have it at a key part of the game. You know, End of the first half, end of the second half, end of the game, something like that. Have it be in the middle of the first quarter, middle of the third quarter when it doesn't affect the game as much because that's when it really gets talked about And then the Pac-12 gets blamed for it again. So especially if it's a call that goes against USC, costs them a chance to go to the CFP, then it's going to be like, okay, well, the Pac-12 sucks again. Like, we don't have to respect this team. They can't get into the playoff. And their best team's leaving for the Big Ten anyways. Yeah. So, like, that's the thing is this can spiral really bad if there is a bad call. So, again, hopefully it's not in the worst spot possible, but I am expecting, you know, some type of targeting call that – you know, could go either way.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. It's it's kind of sad that we're sort of expecting it, though. Uh, talking about what we learned this season in the Pac-12, I'll take your thoughts five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five on Twitter at Peter Sampson. We learned Dan Landing is a pretty good coach, but he was still a first year head coach, wasn't he? I mean, he, he came out. With the brutal loss to Georgia, a loss was certainly expected there. Even the the manner uh, of that loss was still a little surprising. Turned around, caught fire. The offense is humming. The defense was doing okay. It certainly sort of uh, faded down the stretch a little bit. But that sort of uh, aggressive style of play... Uh, really caught up to uh, Dan Lanning and the Ducks. I understand the the reasoning for it, the justification. This is what got us here. This is why we were averaging 42 points a game and won, you know, what, eight games in a row, seven games in a row, whatever it was. I totally get that. But uh, especially coming off the uh, the Mario Cristobal era and some of that uh, late-game decision-making Marcus Arroyo, uh, I know Duck fan was uh not thrilled, you know, seeing uh Ty Thompson uh try to sneak, you know, when Bo Nix was out and just a few other questionable things. Look, things are things are aiming upward for Dan Lanning. I like Dan Lanning. I think he's uh I think he's a great guy. I think he's a good coach. I think he's uh might be the guy for the long haul in Oregon. And before the season, I'll be honest, I, I was a little bit wrong. I said they were going to win 8 games and there were going to be a couple coaching mistakes along the way. They overachieved by 1 and they and they won 9. I guess we'll say they beat BYU when before we knew who BYU actually was. It was a good year. It wasn't a great year, Duck fan. I know your expectations were a lot higher especially when this team was humming. Uh, the future is bright. Of course, Dan Landing is out trying to play a little defense with uh, Dante Moore right now. Now that uh, Kenny Dillingham has gone to uh, Arizona State to be their new head coach. Uh, Dante Moore I did see last week. I think we talked about it on the, the Pulse on Tuesday, I think. Uh, my local show here in Portland that Dante Moore removed his commitment from his Instagram profile. Could be nothing. Could be everything. Most likely something in the middle. So I think Coach Landing is out there. Come on, you know you want to come to this program. You know this program believes in you. So you know we don't know if Bo Nix is going to come back. I think he's waiting for a draft grade. That's what Bo Nix is waiting for. And if he's a if he's a first or second rounder, I think he's got to go. But I think if he's day two, three, fifth round, fourth round, something like that, I honestly think he might be able to rack up enough nil money to make it worth it. Now, if some teams. I hate to say crazy, because Bo Nix had a fantastic season, but if some team is, we'll just be honest, crazy, and decides to take him like with the 18th pick or something like that, he's got to go. I think he's got to go if he's a second-rounder, but I don't know that that's expected. And so... I hear he's weighing that. I think he might come back. It would be uh, great for Oregon if he could come back. Uh, he took such huge strides this year. And again, you know, before the season started, he did two things: he got married and he worked with a quarterbacks coach. And I think just not having that legacy pressure at Auburn and just being a kid on campus who's really good at football, I think that was so so good for Bo Nix.
2: Yeah, and it's paid off, like you said. You know, he was added to the uh, the Manning Award list, one of eleven quarterbacks to be nominated for that. And you talked about uh, Coach Dillingham at Arizona State. He quote tweeted it, said, "You know he deserves this great player, better person. He's a first round pick, no question." So mm-hmm. I think I think you're right on about it. like he's he's really evaluating where he's at in his career because he can't come back to Oregon if he wants, and he knows he's going to be comfortable. He knows the fans are going to be on his side, and it'll be the most comfortable he'll ever be in college football. But he's also coming off the best year of his career, where he showed off that athleticism, that arm. Or maybe he is a, you know, day two pick. Right. And if it is, like, you got to go then. You got to go to the NFL in that choice. But, uh, it'll be interesting what he does, see what he does, because I think with Jay Butterfield already in transfer portal, if Bo Nix is, you know, leaning to leaving, does Ty Thompson stay? Does Ty Thompson transfer portal? I think there's a lot of questions that the Duck quarterback position this offseason is going to be very interesting when it uh, comes out.
1: There really are, and I mean before nil, I think it's a given that Bo Nix is going, even if he's a fifth round pick. You know, it's just you got to get the money, you got to strike while the iron's hot. Hot. I'm not even necessarily saying I expect him to say to stay. I just think that puts a little wrinkle into things that potentially the money could be close. You know how it is with unfinished business. You think about, you know, Mariota coming back. You think about and Nescu coming back. You think about Justin Herbert coming back. A bunch of us expected him to go, and he came back for one more year. But you're right. There are questions. So Butterfield, it's obviously, uh, the decision to transfer makes sense. I mean, it, it's just I, that's a sound decision. He was the number three guy for multiple years. Go to maybe a smaller school, you know, maybe go to you know San Diego State, maybe go to Fresno State, go somewhere. Maybe, you know, just where you can at least be a backup, if not a starter. You might actually see some reps on the field. But if this Dante Moore situation flips, the Ducks might have a little bit of a problem at quarterback. Butterfield gone, Bo Nix potentially going pro, Dante Moore out. You're left with Ty Thompson. I'm not fully off the Ty Thompson train? Because I was never fully on the Ty Thompson train. But look, he did not look great in his limited opportunities. I know part of it is when you don't get a lot, lot of opportunities, the game doesn't have a chance to slow down. But uh, what we saw, man, the game, it looked like it was moving at warp speed.
2: And the thing is, is we don't know what it looks like because, like you said, he hasn't played. But there was a reason the Ducks went out and they tried to get Bo Nix in the transfer portal, right? Like they, they knew Ty Thompson was not ready to take that next step. And they saw this potential 9-10 win team for Oregon if they have a stable quarterback. That's what Bo Nix was. So will they go back out in the portal and look to you know get a quick little Band-Aid? Does that make Ty Thompson matter? It It's a very intriguing situation, this Ducks quarterback situation for next season. Because it's really going to show, you know, what does Lanning really think of Ty Thompson? What that offense thinks of him next season. Because if he's not ready, they're going to have to be going after somebody.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Final thing we learned in the Pac-12 this season... Jonathan Smith can take the next step. I mean, think back to a few years ago when he inherited that program. And we knew it was going to be a long journey. We knew Jonathan Smith was going to have a long leash from fans, from the media, uh, from everybody. And, you know, last year, even after just last year, they got bowl eligible. Yeah, they didn't win in the L.A. Bowl. But, you know, they got there, took a little victory lap. It was great. Well, they turn around. And, uh, you know, they end up jumping up by three wins. And they beat Oregon in the, uh, I'm just going to call it the Civil War. And uh, things continue to look up. Now, we know Chance Nolan uh, yesterday, uh, the word broke that he was in the transfer portal. Speaking of quarterback situations, I'm really curious if uh, Smith is going to be hunting for another quarterback or if he's just going to roll back with Goldbergson. Now, on one hand, Goldbergson was 6-1 and one as a starter. And I know that Smith... Anyone that he uh, does decide to get in the transfer portal, they need to be okay with a quarterback competition. He's not going to guarantee a job to anyone, which of course is maybe going to, uh, you know, eliminate some of the real, real, uh, high qual- the highest quality candidates, the elite candidates. So I'm curious if he's going to use that or if he's just going to roll with Goldbrunson. But, man, the Beeves, it really felt like they were just a quarterback away.
2: Yeah, and I said this yesterday. I think it's a disappointment if the beeves come back and it's just Like yeah. they got, I, I don't think that their quarterback is in the program right now. I think they need to go out and try to find somebody to at least compete with it, like you said. But if they come back and it's Goldbergson's just the clear number one, I think that's a failure in the offseason, Jonathan Smith. But, like you said, he's a great coach. Everything is on the rise. And we talked about the Ducks a little bit, how it felt like a little disappointed in the season. Both teams, 9-3, and three, completely different mindsets for those fans.
1: Totally, business. totally. Beaver fan is thrilled. Ducks fan is disappointed. Kanzano was talking about it. He's, he said it on the air. He had a little tweet thread about it, too. It's all about expectations, isn't it? Having realistic expectations, managing expectations. Both teams had a good year. I know, Duck fan, it felt like you were going to get more for a while this year. I thought so, too. Uh, but ultimately, 9-3, and three, that was a game better than I was predicting they would do. And uh, onward and upward for both programs. Tell me what you learned in the Pac-12 this year, 503 417 ahead of tonight's Conference championship game. The Utah Utes take on the USC Trojans. Uh USC a three-point favorite right now, over under on that one. 67 and a half. We'll go away, come back, more sports talk on the other side. John Canzano will join the show in the four o'clock hour. After that, in the five o'clock hour, my man Sean Hyken from Rose Garden Report is gonna talk some trailblazers with us. What is going on with the Blazers? Right when we all believe they immediately hit a wall, the defense is bad again. Is it just a blip? Are they just banged up? Or are they who we stopped thinking they were? We'll tell you in the 5 o'clock hour with Sean Heiken. Leave it here. Peter Sampson in for Konzano. It's the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth
0: with John Gonzano on 750 The Game.
1: Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate you listening to the program. Got Stephen Vaughn along for the ride today. It's my first day back. I took a little mini vacation. I didn't actually do anything. I uh, just frankly needed to burn some pto and have a lot more than i need to burn before i lose it at the end of the year i uh i wasn't uh totally paying attention to it and all of a sudden it's the end of the year and i have triple digit hours that i have to get rid of so i don't know how i'm gonna do that but uh kim was out of town she's uh she flew back to uh michigan to visit family so uh i was sort of fake living the bachelor life for uh, three days. You ever do that? The the You know, if your wife, Steven, and the kids get out of town, just take some time and uh, live it up
2: like you used to? Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling. Like, the house just seems very quiet, um, which is what I love, I will say. Uh, there's yeah. been times where yeah. uh, I remember it was last football season. One of our friends was coming over. The kids and my wife were gone for, you know, going to get breakfast or something. And he showed up early, and he walks, and he's like, man, it is really quiet in here I go yeah kids are gone it feels great yeah. let's not talk to each other until they get here so uh yeah no it's good like I I love it uh but I only like it for like you know a day or two like you said It's just once that then I do start I do start missing them and I because I do like them
1: that's how it goes man all you want is some peace and quiet for like a year. Could I just get an hour and then you get it and uh it takes maybe 6 hours and then it's like man, I wonder when they're going to come back. I miss them. Uh I uh again, I didn't do anything. I I even kept the house relatively clean. She'll be very proud of me. I uh but again, everything was quiet, just relaxed, painted not really a painter, but I painted, didn't even turn on the PlayStation, didn't watch any sports, uh, just enjoyed the sound of nothing for a little while. Uh, I'm pretty uh, pretty pleased with myself, though, because usually, man, it takes, uh, if that happens and I'm home alone for three days, uh, you know, the kiddo's not there, uh, Kim's not there. I'm not going to say I trash the place, because I don't. I'm not a slob, but but I'm also not like a clean person. You know what I mean? Like, on the spectrum of dudes, I'm pretty good. But on the spectrum of people, I'm a little messy. I'm a, I'm a little messy, I admit it. So uh, I've been trying to keep on that. I did not order delivery a single time, which is a big win for me. I considered it. I had the app open. By the way, prices have gotten out of freaking control for delivery, man. It is un believable and it's and I get it like you know you're introducing a middleman you know DoorDash caviar that sort of Uber Eats whatever you use uh is Grubhub still a thing maybe that too so I get it like it's gonna be more expensive you got to pay for the delivery pay for the maintenance of the app you know all that stuff going on but man I went to uh I sort of was just pricing some stuff out and like oh yeah maybe I'll get a just get a delicious uh sandwich from Lardo the, uh, the Bronx Bomber, which is hands down the best sando at Lardo, and then uh, some dirty fries with uh, with has like uh like pepperonis and pork belly bits, crispy pork belly bits in the fries. That's not a lot, right? Like that's a, that's a hearty lunch or an average kind of not good for you dinner. That's not me knocking down like two pizzas by myself or anything. Quantity of food, it's like seventy bucks. Seventy bucks. I decided against it. I had leftovers instead.
2: Yeah, that's probably the right choice. I mean, that, that's a lot, but I mean, it would have been if you're gonna do it. That that was the time to do it, right? When you're by totally. yourself, uh, you don't have to get anything else. But yeah, seventy bucks. It seems a little a uh, little spendy there.
1: It's it's getting expensive, man. And uh, you're listening to the show. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Now that you pay, We're actually down to like four fifty for gas, but you pay all that. I mean. At the end of the day, who's paying for you know the fact that everything's more expensive to produce and deliver? Well, you are. I am. But uh, we uh, we grab some pizzas. Uh, a couple weeks ago uh the kiddo wanted pizza. We were busy didn't have time to cook. We don't do it that often so we're like yeah man, we'll get a couple pizzas and we, and we uh, I'll just we're typical Portlanders, you know what I mean're we're, we're foodies. We're not pretentious about it. We're not knobs about it but you know we, we like good stuff. We like to hit the new restaurants we like to do all that but uh so we get decent pizza, you know what I'm saying? Good pizza. two pizzas and a salad two large pizzas. And uh, like a a Greek salad, it's 90 bucks. Now that's including, you know, tip, delivery fee, the markup, all that stuff, $90. And I said, never again, never again. The next time we had pizza, you you know what we had? Totino's. Mm, No pizzas. Actually, I think it was DiGiorno, Uh but yeah, it's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. (laughs) And you know what? It was awful, but was it so awful? That I wasn't willing to
2: pay five ninety nine instead of ninety dollars. Nah, no, I'm gonna do that from now on. Yeah, the problem with my family is like my kids, you know, they just like cheese pizza. So, it, yeah. so it's like if I go to uh, you know some type of pizza place, they don't even want anything special. Like they just want like the random cheese, and it's just be priced up way much. They would rather prefer a frozen pizza from Fred Meyer or Zorno or whatever. Like that's what they would rather have. So we do have those around and have them all the times. Like I can just stomach it. I can eat it. But yep. uh yeah, it's like. Right now, at this point in their lives, they're just too young, you know, eight and three. They're too young to actually just embrace, embrace a good za. So yeah. I, I don't need to go spend that money right now.
1: Yeah. See, kids don't really necessarily know good food. Like I was really proud of my kid a few weeks ago. We had pho and he was, he loved it. And, uh, you know, that's good in and of its own. But then he was, he was contrasting it to some other pho he had had and why this pho was better. And I was like, my man. That is some, uh, that's some food criticism you're delivering. I love that. So he is definitely a Portlander in spirit, but only one more day of uh, forced fake bachelorhood left. I'm hanging out tomorrow by myself and then I'm uh, picking up Kim at the airport. By the way, so I took her to the airport on Tuesday. It was so stormy overnight, Monday into Tuesday. I don't know if you remember that. Like, Mm -hmm. it dumped, like, I swear it dumped, like, two inches of rain overnight. So, first of all, uh, she was on the red eye. She was on the red eye as in, to get her to the airport, like, I had to wake up at 4.15 in the morning. Mm -hmm. So, I'm like, well, I'll go to sleep early. So, I, you know, pop a melatonin at, like, 9 o'clock. Does nothing for me. I finally get to sleep around 11.45, and... We we did a remodel, and so our bedroom is upstairs now. What basically used to be like an unfinished upstairs, like bigger than an attic, you know, pitched that sort of deal. That's our bedroom now. So we have a nice big bedroom upstairs. But one thing I'm not used to, because it's new, is when you have gnarly Oregon winter and it's just like raining sideways really hard. It just goes. Like, it's hitting against something. It might be the window. It might be, you know, the AC. I don't know what it is. Kept me up all night long. I legit maybe got two and a half hours sleep. And then it was like driving through Katrina at 4.30 in the morning trying to get her to the airport. Very difficult. And I was like, well, that's fine. I'll just go home and go back to bed. I have the whole day in front of me. Going to play some video games. Maybe Ah, watch the Blazers. It's going to be great. I could not nap. I was in a constant state of uh, just fog. You know, it was like I was brain damaged all day, but I couldn't get back to sleep. I lost an entire day of my time off, man. I mean, to be fair, I rested. I relaxed. It was quiet. But that first day, I didn't really get to enjoy it until Wednesday.
2: Yeah, so that that is difficult. what are you gonna do tonight? You gotta uh, gonna be going out living old life, Peter? No. Nah. One night left.
1: No, nah, I'm too old for that. I, I I think about it sometimes. If
2: there's like a blazer game, maybe go like to a bar or something, watch it, but yeah,
1: maybe, nah. maybe. I don't really I don't really do that kind of stuff. So but I do have a uh a friend of mine. He was in my old band and he lives in Eugene. He's coming up and he's playing a show on uh Saturday, I think it's the seventeenth. I'll go to that. That'll be late. I'll I, you know got to go support the friend. I might end up playing that show. Actually, he, he needs another band or two on the bill, so I might come out of a uh, twelve-year retirement to play a thirty or forty-minute acoustic set. No idea how that'll go.
2: Let's uh, let's get that recorded. Put it out on Twitter for me.
1: Uh, I will do that. Yes. I, I got no shame, man. It's part of, part of being a performer, right? Well, right. <laughs> oh, no, it's not bad. It's just you. It's just you. <laughs> you, you just think it is, but it's not. I swear.
2: (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, you at least have, you know, have the, have the lungs to go up there and do it. Yeah, exactly.
1: But generally, I don't really, I don't really do that. Like we're going out for New Year's this year and it'll be the first time I've done that in, oh, seven or eight years. I, I, and it's, we're going to Mississippi studios. They're doing it. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a, it's a battle of the decades and it's a bunch of like awesome local musicians from some legendary bands so you have like janet weiss from Sleater kenny and and kathy from the thermals and you know on and on and on it's this list of like 40 musicians and basically they're playing all night in various uh various uh setups various uh combinations and uh they're doing a battle of the decade so they're going to play a set of 50s then 60s, then 70s, then 80s, and you're supposed to dress up in your uh, most decade-appropriate attire. I may or may not—I can't confirm this. I may or may not have ordered uh, a a uh, a Beatles "Sgt. Pepper" uh, outfit from the album cover—the the the green, the red, the pink, and the blue—like like generals' uniforms. I might have one on the way. I'll just leave it there. Uh, but even that, going out twice in a month, that'll be the first time in uh, years that I've done it. At a certain point, Stephen, and you know this, you're younger than me, but we're essentially the same age. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you just realize, I
2: i can't do that, and I don't even really want to anymore. What happened? It's exhausting. Yeah. Like, it's exhausting thinking about it, and then you get home and you're exhausted even more. Like, I- I'm with you. It's, it's not worth it. There's no-, there's no upside to it. Remember back in the day when you
1: could – Go out and, like, have adventures. You never knew what the night was going to bring. And, you know, maybe maybe you drink hard, maybe you don't on those adventures. But you go out and you have fun. You go home as the sun is coming up. And then you rally and you go to work, like, four hours later. If I tried that now, I would have to take a week off. I would have to take short-term disability leave if I stayed out all night anymore. And that's even if I drank nothing but uh, Aquafina bottled water. I just can't do it. And if you're young, that's coming for you, too. All right, more sports talk ahead. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano on the BFT Radio Network.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Here's a throwback for you. Peter Samson in for John Gonzano. It's the bald-faced truth on the BFT radio network. Can't believe I have to say this, but no, Drew Brees was not struck by lightning while filming a commercial. I don't know if you heard reports that he was struck by lightning while filming a commercial in South America, but surprise, surprise. It was just a publicity stunt. I saw that viral video uh early this morning. It showed Breeze getting ready for a commercial shoot. And then all of a sudden a flash of light knocks the camera to the ground. So uh I think a couple people might have got spoofed in this though. Uh Breeze did admit to reporters that reached out to him that he was fine. And it was uh it was uh just a gag. And he was filming in Venezuela for Points Bet Sportsbook who hired him as a brand ambassador. And uh, it makes sense because Points Bet has really been trying to promote their lightning bets. And uh, if you don't know what a lightning bet is, you know, you can get in now. You can uh, – a uh, little little bit riskier. You know, you can win more, lose more. Uh, and uh, so it was uh, promoting that. Now, is that in poor taste? Is that in poor taste to uh, to have Drew Brees get uh, hit by lightning and have p- at least some people wondering for a while, like, uh, did I just see video of Drew Brees dying?
2: Um, I think the way that they did it, yeah, it was because they put out a statement on Twitter that was like, you know, uh, we, we saw this, we you know, we had the video of Drew Brees, we won't make any comments on it till later. And then it was like an hour later, they're like, you had a video of Drew Brees saying, oh, it was just, you know, a joke, whatever. Like, they made it out like he was really hurt, and they let made people's mind just go crazy, right? You yeah. know how people are like, people like Drew Brees, they were really concerned about him, they don't want him to be hurt. So I thought it was a little weird. Um. Yeah, they put out a statement. They just said we are aware of the media coverage regarding Points spread brand ambassador Drew Brees, and this is like, so you're acting like it's real, and you're going to keep the joke going that he's dead, like that, like <laughs> that's the joke. Like I, I thought, I thought it was poor taste. Drew Brees is dead. Bet with us. <laughs> promo code Drew Brees. Dead. <laughs> yeah, you promo <laughs> cr- promo code Drew Brees corpse. One hundred percent bonus. But no, I just thought it was bad taste. <laughs> like that's the joke of like. Oh, Drew Brees died. Like, come join our sports book. I, I don't know. I didn't like
1: it. And just think a marketing manager got paid for that idea. I, I didn't care for it either. Look, I, I I from the beginning, I think I caught it late enough that the context that I saw it in was, hey, this is a stunt. I don't know that I would have bought it anyway, only because I feel like... And everyone says, oh, it broke Twitter when this happened. I feel like that actually would have broken Twitter. Of course, how broken is Twitter right now anyway? Fairly uh, fairly broken. But, uh, yeah, I think it was in a little bit of poor taste. I don't know. Uh, but apparently some people did fall for it. So uh, I only saw it online. I don't know if that was going to air on uh, television or what. You know you, you know who won't see that commercial? Vodka TV subscribers. Ooh, did you hear about that? I did, yeah. So if you don't know if you're watching the Trailblazers with Ivaca, Trailblazer sponsor, a uh, reportedly uh, more cost-effective way to watch the Trailblazers. So the newest and cheapest way. They warned that they are uh, probably going to shut down at the end of this month. So, if you don't know what it is, it's like a lot of other streaming services, but it's different because it requires an antenna and a direct box to receive the broadcast packages. It's a streamer but it's also over the air, if that makes sense. Digital antenna, so it does offer Root Sports, which is the network carrying Trailblazers games. So that matters to a lot of people, and it's a thirty-dollar price point. You have to rent the box too, which I think is five bucks a month. So we'll say thirty-five dollars. That matters because you know my my Fubo monthly bill to watch the Trailblazers is uh it's about a hundred dollars. And I do have a couple add-ons with that, but I think the lowest I could get the Blazers is like $70 a month, twice this. So I know a lot of people were into Avaka. But apparently they sent out a notice to customers this week predicting an imminent shutdown unless more funding becomes available. And they wrote in a note, it said, this is a difficult economy for a company like ours to raise the funding that we need to grow. Should we be unable to raise more capital, we're sad to say Avaca TV will discontinue operations and programming on December 31st, 2022. And uh, the report also says, should a shutdown occur, Avaca will not charge customers for the month of December Ooh. And will not ask for the equipment to be returned. So you can keep a uh, a digital antenna and a box that presumably will be worthless on January 1st, 2023. I know this has nothing to do with the Blazers aside from they carry Root Sports and they advertise with the Blazers. But the Blazers can't be happy with this after the, you know, first, you know, you have Damian Lillard shooting money guns telling me Hulu has live sports, and then it doesn't have the Blazers. And then Root is difficult. Uh, If you don't have cable, Fubo is the only option. The more major streamers don't carry it, considering Fubo is literally in existence to keep people tethered to cable. It's a miracle that they're even on Fubo, to be honest. The Blazers, uh, you know... Are letting people know that they can watch their games on Ivaca. again. This it's this isn't the Trailblazers' fault, but now this looks to be going away as well. The Blazers sort of bystanders here, but man, it, it's not a good look for people that maybe don't know the the full situation. It's just another reason to be mad at the Blazers and why you can't watch them.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And that's the thing is they were they were advertising Evoca as an alternative way to watch and a cheaper way to watch the Trailblazers this year, and the Blazers were putting that out. And so Mm -hmm. it's just, it's been a disaster going to Root Sports. Um, You know, back it was on, what, NBC Sports Northwest, and that station went away, and we thought, well, maybe we're going to get a better deal. Maybe we're going to get it so more people are going to be able to stream it, uh, more streaming options, but no, it hasn't gone on YouTube TV when uh, NBC Sports Northwest was on YouTube TV. You could watch it there. It's just, it's been a disaster so far, Peter, and it's year two of it, It's, it's, you know, It's unfortunate that the Blazers are struggling right now, but it's also better now that the Blazers are struggling because if they weren't and a lot more people wanted to watch this team, it'd be so hard.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, can we we just put the games back on KGW? Can we do that? I loved having them on KGW. Even if it was only a few games a year, you just knew that you could get some for free. And the downside with Fubo, and I actually don't mind Fubo. I like it. It's a little spendy. But, again, I have, you know, I get the Pac-12 network, including all the sub-channels with that. But even then, as an NBA fan, you know, so I, I have Fubo and I have Root Sports, including the two overflow channels. So I will not miss a Blazer game. Even if the Kraken are on Root, I get the Blazers. I have NBA League Pass. So I watch virtually every game. Of course, I have ESPN, NBA TV. But Fubo does not have TNT and TBS. So when they played the Clippers the other night, I, who spend more than $100 a month just specifically to be able to watch NBA basketball, I could not watch the Trailblazers. It was very, very frustrating. I would love, I mean, if they could just put out a specific app, (laughs) I'll pay $300 a year for it, Just, but I get every game uh, cross-device. I'll I'll pay for that without a doubt. I think for
2: sure, I think a lot of people would do that, especially in a market like this where... You know, if, if you're in the Portland area, it's the only professional out of the big four sports yeah. that you have. I mean, we got the MLS, we got the Thorns and the Timbers, but I'm talking, you know, baseball, basketball, right. football. Like, it, it is frustrating. And I'm a guy, you know, I have YouTube TV, so I was cool with it until he went to Root. Now I don't have Root Sports, so I got to find uh interesting ways to watch the game. But, of course, I got to watch the game. I got to do my podcast. I got to talk about it on the show. Like, it's a must-have and it just makes it more difficult, but people are always going to find ways to do it. And I think that's the thing is, like, you can get money because there is a product that is in need, but if you're not going to offer it, people are going to find out a way to do it.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And Not to mention, man, Rue Sports is just I don't like Root Sports.
2: I feel like they put the Blazers on the back burner. Like they don't care at all about them.
1: They do, and uh, I, I could, I could spend an hour on this, and I'm not going to. But they do. Uh, more than anything, it's that they're using like 20 whatever year old equipment. I have this nice, big, beautiful 4K TV, and they're still broadcasting in 720p. Man, why does Fubo look bad when I'm watching the Blazers? It's not Fubo, man. I get a bunch of 4K stuff there. It's Root. Root looks terrible no matter the platform you're using. 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phone lines. Jacob is in Eugene. What's up, Jacob?
3: So uh, you guys are talking about ways to watch games and, you know, people figure out a way to do it. Um, there's there's a site. You don't need to pay $30 a month or $100 a month or anything. It's called Stream East.
0: I don't know if you're familiar with it.
1: Uh, no, I'm not. I appreciate the phone call. Uh no, I'm not familiar with that. I don't get down with that sketchy stuff. I don't I I don't want viruses or uh malware or anything uh on my PC or anything like that. But I do know that people will take uh you know very uh, uh people will sail the high seas. I'm not going to do that cuz but that's indicative of something specific. And I think that streaming services showed that if you make things easy to find, people will pay. People want to pay and go above board. They do. And it's only when you start jacking up prices and removing content. Like, Remember how big pirating was like 10 years ago, 12 years ago? Well, guess what? It's back. It had gone away when you could just bump on into Netflix and get good value and see everything. But all of a sudden, the price goes up, price goes up, price goes up, quality goes down. And all of a sudden, you go, "Uh, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I would never do that, of course. Uh, let's take one more phone call before the break. Kevin is in Sandy. What's up, Kevin? Hey, um, yeah, I
3: you know I struggle with this a lot because um, I finally got out from under the umbrella of Comcast, yeah. and then I got you know Hulu, um, only to find out I couldn't watch the Blazers. But I refuse to pay money for like Fubo because every time I'm about to do it. I see that the Blazers go on, like, a five-game losing streak. So I'm just kind of curious, like, how does that affect everyone else? Like, because, you know, I'm about to do it, and then again, I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay this and then watch the Blazers lose. I'm not a fair-weather fan. I've been in Portland my whole life. I love the Blazers, but I can't bring myself to pay, like, the money to watch the Blazers. Or I guess I'm just being stubborn. So I'll just hear your reaction to that off the air. Thanks.
1: Yeah, appreciate you Kevin. And uh yeah I mean, I mean I get it. And I would push back and say that I mean that sounds like a fair weather fan, but I'm not knocking for that. You're in the majority. It's okay. You should not be forced to consume a product if they're not going to be entertaining to you. And if they're going to, say, lose 7 of 8, do you want to spend 90 bucks a month? Or I should be fair. You can get it for $69.99. You just don't get the additional stuff. Uh, so I don't blame you. And it, this does matter very much uh, to the team. I guarantee they're tracking these viewership metrics. They're tracking all this stuff uh, because it all matters on the bottom line. So hopefully they can turn it around soon and make it worthwhile for people because I mean now that you know the I have to watch it for my job but if I didn't now that Pac 12 season is over essentially I don't need the Pac 12 network anymore and that's the only other reason I have Fubo and I'll be honest last year second half of the year I didn't watch those games. I don't care if it's my job or not. They don't pay me enough to watch that terrible basketball. All right, we'll go away, come back, finish up hour number one on the other side. John Canzano going to join us from the Pac-12 championship game in about 20 minutes. You're going to want to leave it here. Peter Sampson on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network.
0: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Welcome back in, Peter Samson. In for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth. JC gonna check in with us from the Pac-12 Championship game in just about twenty minutes. Want him to set the scene. USC versus Utah. I want to know who's traveling better. That's what I want to know. I'll ask him that. Ask him uh, his prediction for that game. Before we get to that, we got to give you the one thing you need to know today. It is the big splash. <laughs>
0: The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash!
1: Well, United States men's national team manager Greg Berhalter said midfielder Christian Pulisic is looking pretty good, and he has been cleared to play in tomorrow's World Cup round of 16 match against the Netherlands. Pulisic is suffering from... From a uh, pelvic contusion, he got kicked in the stones really hard as he scored the only goal of the game in the 1-0 defeat of Iran. That was an amazing game. I don't know if you caught this, Steven, but man, nine minutes of stoppage time. It felt like an hour. Felt like an hour. I was on the edge of my seat literally the whole time, screaming at the American defense. But they got it done. They advanced.
2: Yeah, and as the not a big soccer guy, like it was intense. And the ball that got by, and it was, I mean, it had to have been a foot or two away from yeah. the goal, right? The stoppage time, unbelievable. And for USA to advance, have any chance against the Netherlands, they need Pulisic. Uh, so. Uh, big news that he's going to be back for uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, early morning.
1: Yeah, tomorrow, I believe 7 a.m. without yeah. looking at it. I will be up and watching that. I love the World Cup. Also not a huge soccer guy, but the intensity of the World Cup makes it just such a fantastic event. Hour number one in the books. We'll be back in just a minute. Peter Samson, Baldface Truth, BFT Radio Network.
0: <laughs> BFT, B-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Gonzano. Here's Peter Sampson with the bald-faced truth.
1: Hour number two of the program. Appreciate you rolling with me on the BFT Radio Network. Portland, Eugene, Klamath Falls, Roseburg. Hope you've had a great day and a great week. Hope you've got a good weekend planned. I know I do. Going to live one more day of the fake bachelor life. <laughs> and then come... Picking Kim up on Sunday from the airport and uh, back to uh, normal. No, I didn't trash the house. No, I haven't been drinking constantly. No, I haven't been staying up until 3 in the morning. You know how it is, though. When you have the house to yourself, it's really nice for about two hours. And then you go, ah, I'm ready to get back to normal. Speaking of uh, back to normal, just about 15 minutes from now, John Canzano himself He's gonna call us from Vegas. I see his, his uh, photo on Twitter. He is in the stadium for the Pac-12 championship game. Gonna ask him to set the scene for us. Get his thoughts. I want to know who's gonna who's gonna miss uh, a big time offensive weapon more. Is USC gonna miss Travis Dyer's or is Utah gonna miss Brent Keithy more? That's what I want to know. Should be a great game. Looking forward. to I uh, hearing JC's thoughts? Of course. In hour number three, we're going to talk to uh, Sean Hyken from uh, Rose Garden Report. If you don't subscribe to that, you should. I'll be honest. I only subscribe to uh, two of uh, two uh, sports writers, and it's John Canzano and Sean Hyken. You know what I mean? JohnCanzano.com and Sean Hyken's Rose Garden Report. Sean Hyken quickly has become my uh, favorite Trailblazers writer. He has access that you uh, only a handful Of uh, people in this market have but then he has the advantage of uh, not being on deadline only writing what he wants to write about being a really good writer you know he doesn't have an editor uh, you know sort of uh, making him run the gauntlet to get something published so if you're a Trailblazers fan and you want uh, thoughts on the uh, the Trailblazers as the season goes on that you're not going to find anywhere else uh, Sean Hyken's Rose Garden report he also does a uh, I believe it's weekly podcast. It might be twice a week. I'll have to double check on that. Uh, that's very good as well. So I'll talk to him about the Portland trailblazers. I do want to kick that around the Trailblazers, Steven, man, uh, things not going well in rip city over the last, uh, two and a half weeks or so they've lost uh eight of nine. No, excuse me. Seven of eight, eight of 10. And so they're 500, they're 11 and 11. And honestly, It's all about expectations, right? Just like Duck fans. Like, if you had told me after this schedule where uh, a lot of metrics show they've had actually the most difficult schedule in the NBA so far, and Damian Lillard has missed half of it, if you told me that they were 500, I would say, I'm thrilled. This is a playoff team. But having watched the games, here, the things that they were doing that led me to say this is sustainable, the defense, the effort, well, they're not sustaining the things that are sustainable. And I don't know if it's time to hit the panic button yet or if this is just a team that is sort of regressing to what they actually are, but still might be better than we thought they were in October. What do you see?
2: Yeah, I think they're a little better than I thought they were initially at the start of the year. I think, you know, I, I made this point that I thought the Blazers came out to prove something at the start of the year because of how bad they were the season ago. And I think that's wearing off a little bit. Just the effort isn't there as much. But I think they're better than. You know, the regression of the defense has gone down to 24th in the league. It was top 10 at one point. It's definitely not 24, but it's definitely not top 10. I think it's more 16 yeah. to 18, Um, and things aren't going to get easier. You know, the depth on this team is bad, and some breaking news here, Peter. The yep. boys just released this uh, press release. Nasir Little, he will be out for the next six weeks with a uh, right hip injury, so that is uh, not good, too bad for Nasir, and got another injury for him. Uh, you know, This team is just missing a couple different things and Nasir Little was one of those guys you needed to fill that, that void, and it was on-ball defense. The point-of-attack defense, a guy who guarded the ball, Nasir Little, actually one of the better one-on-one defenders on the team. Now he's gone. They don't have that guy. They need GP2 back. They need somebody, but, yeah, I'm you know i not hitting the panic button because if you would have told me before the start of the year, 22 games in, Steven, 11-11, you can take it. I would have said, yeah, all day long. So I I'm okay with where they are right now. I think there's a lot of things to be positive, but – there are definitely some negative things that have regressed back to the mean.
1: Yeah, that Nasir little uh, press release just uh, crossed my phone as you were talking. Yes, uh, if you recall, and of course I mentioned I could not watch this game because it was on TNT. He left Tuesday night's game against the Clippers with a right hip strain. Further imaging on the right hip revealed a mild femoral head impaction fracture. He is expected to miss the next six weeks. So it sounds like a, a very mi- slight fracture. Uh, on the uh, the femoral head, which is, I understand, is the large leg bone that goes up to your hip. So it's the head is right at the end there, at the hip. It, it's
2: the ball of the ball and socket on your hip. Yeah, That's yeah. What I just read.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because you know, and the leg bones connected to the hip bone, that sort of thing. Uh, so his is connected just a little bit <laughs> worse now. Uh, get well soon, Nasir. That's tough. And you know, it's one of those things where obviously you don't want Damian Lillard to go down, but at least you have an influx of guards that can sort of. There, no one's gonna fill his shoes, but they can at least fill those minutes. But when you're talking, you know, sort of a, a hybrid 3-4 like Nasir, I mean, obviously you have Jeremy Grant, uh, you have Hart starting at the 3, uh, but coming off the bench, they don't really have those players with some size uh, that can play a little bit of both ways. So that's tough. That's That's tough news. I'm not entirely surprised. But you mentioned GP2 as well. And uh, again, you know, we got the surprise news that he had had the core muscle surgery. He was exp- he was going to miss training camp and be ex- uh, ready to go day one of the uh, regular season. He was not. They said two weeks. Two weeks came and went. It was two more weeks. Two weeks came and went. They've said two more weeks and uh, on and on and on. And here it is December 2nd, and we still don't know when this guy's going to come back, man. I'll be honest. My my panic meter on that, just that specific issue, is probably up to about 68% right now. I'm not sure what is going on with GP2.
2: Yeah, I have no idea. You know, I asked some people, I got nothing back. Like, nobody knows. And I'm at the point now, Peter, where I'm expecting nothing out of him. If he doesn't play the whole season, I'm not surprised. If he came back tomorrow... I wouldn't be surprised. I have no idea, and the range is just so big on when GP2 could come back. And it's disappointing because I do think he could fill a role in this team as that go-to on-ball defender. The Blazers need that guy. These The guards that they have, Damon and Ant, they just don't guard like you want them to. But you can get GP2 in there. He can guard numerous guys. I think they are missing that piece. I do want to know, Peter, because you, you, know, you put out that you're fully bought back in once they had that nice yep. run at the start of the year. And Dane being hurt, I think that that has a lot of the reason why they've been struggling. But where are you now? Are you have you are you hitting the pandemic here, one to ten? How panicked are you with this little losing streak that they've had? Uh, lately, now that they're back down to five hundred,
1: I'm not. I mean, they've had the health issues. They've been one of the most banged up teams in the league as far as a games missed due to injury, and you know they've played the uh, the hardest schedule in the NBA or second hardest, depending on uh, what site you're going to and how you're calculating that info. Uh, that being said, so Dame is going to miss tomorrow's game at Utah. He's expected to make his return on Sunday versus the Pacers. And December, uh, the Trailblazers have one of the easiest schedules. In the NBA for the month of December. So if if it struggles, uh, if, excuse me, if the struggles continue this month with Dame back against a combined, you know, like 44% win percentage collection of teams, then I'm worried. But otherwise, look, banged up. The defensive intensity, you know, it slipped down a little bit. Chauncey Billups, maybe uh, some buttons he was pushing uh, that were working, stopped working. You know, opposing teams started hitting the corner three when they were missing. You know, you don't, you miss the last minute second shot instead of hitting it. All these things tend to even out over a season. But ultimately, going through that gauntlet through, uh, well, tomorrow, really. And, uh, you know, coming out 11 and 11 or 12 and 11 or even a game under 500, that is so much better than I expected them to be. I do expect this still is a playoff team. But uh, December could change that. But you look at the schedule. I mean, Utah, pretty good, but they've come back to earth. The Pacers, Denver. uh, You have a back-to-back against Minnesota. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns is hurt. Uh, San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, uh, back-to-back at OKC, Denver again, Charlotte, uh, the Warriors, who are not great so far. I still expect them to turn it on, the Pistons, uh, the Wolves again, the Pacers again, and that takes you to January 8th. So, I mean, yeah, anyone can beat you any given night, but that's not exactly murderer's row.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I think this month is going to be really telling and so far, Dame's played half of the games this year. He's played in 11 games. Yeah. So to be 11 and 11, have Dame play half of the games, I think you're in good shape here. And as long as one of your stars, one of your starters doesn't get hurt, I think they're going to run through that schedule relatively decently. And they're going to have an above 500 record. And at that point, hopefully Dame's fully healthy. At some point, GP2 will hopefully come back. And then that's the point where, okay, you're going to really decide are they going to go for it? Are we going to buy at the trade deadline? Are we going to let this kind of marinate a little bit and see what we got in this team going forward.
1: Yeah, but I I get why Blazer fan is gripping, I do, cuz you're not looking at it at the the overall just, oh hey, 500 team. That's not too bad actually. But it's the whiplash, right? It's that they started, you know, 10 and 4 and then they lost 7 of 8. The defense totally fell off and when you have those two extremes next to each other, it can be jarring. It can be jarring as a fan. It can be jarring as a player, frankly. Man, things we were doing that were working aren't working anymore. So I get it. I'm not going to say you're wrong. At all, but just give it time. We're we're just over the quarter point of the season. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. The Blazers ran through the gauntlet. They haven't been healthy. Tough news if you're just joining the program, though. Nasir Little will is expected to miss the next six weeks. He has a, uh, a femoral head impaction fracture. I wanted to make sure I got that right. A femoral head impaction fracture. That does not sound pleasant.
2: No, no, and for people like me, that just—he hurt his hip.
1: Yeah, he hurt yeah. his hip. He fell and he hurt his hip. Uh, generally, that doesn't, you know, really bother maybe guys his age. That's more uh, our age and up. But I mean, I did see the fall. He 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 took a shot. And one thing I can say is, like, this team is really banged up. It's not just Damian Lillard or obviously now Nasir Little, but like Josh Hart can barely walk right now. He's he's banged up. There's a lot of guys dealing with stuff, It's and it's just how it goes. Look, no mercy, and, you know, you get far enough in the season and everyone's day-to-day, truly. Uh, but the Blazers are dealing with it a little bit right now. It'll be okay. I still maintain this is, you know, a 45-win team. Right around there, 45. Uh, they're going to make the playoffs. They're not going to have home court advantage. But ultimately, that's a lot better than we thought. But, you know, maybe when uh, Joe Cronin said this offseason where he said, look, we still know this is an incomplete roster. We still have some balancing to do. We still need to add another piece. I think maybe just with the early success they had, maybe Blazer fans, we got a little ahead of ourselves. But ultimately, this is still shaping up to be a very nice season. But I need to see them win some games against some beatable opponents this month. So tomorrow they're at Utah. Then the schedule gets uh pretty soft from there for a couple weeks. They just need to take advantage. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. John Canzano is in Vegas. He's gonna give us a call, set the scene for the Pac-12 championship game USC versus Utah. I'm gonna pick his brain, see who he likes in this game and why next I'm in for him. This is the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald-faced
0: truth with John Canzano on 750
1: The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the BFT on the BFT radio network. But that's only partially true because joining us now ahead of the Pac-12 championship game live from Vegas is the man himself, John Canzano. JC, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm sitting on press row. Here at Allegiant Stadium, and uh, the
3: teams are on the field warming up, and they'll be kicking off at 5 o'clock.
1: Awesome. So set the scene for us. Who's traveling better right now?
3: Yeah, it's really even. You know, it's I, I think probably a few more Utah fans than, than USC fans, but this game is a drive for both fan bases. It's a dream come true, I think, for the Raiders and for the Pac-12 as far as the attendance is concerned. I mean, there, it's a sellout. 61,000 will be here. Uh, the game's got some implications. One team's playing for a Rose Bowl, obviously, Utah, and USC trying to stay in the top four in the playoffs. So I think, you know, everybody's real happy, and Pac-12 is interested to see what happens here.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned the Pac-12, so USC obviously kind of having one foot out the door in the conference. Do you think, and they'll never admit it, you think maybe some folks in the conference are sort of rooting against them?
3: I think it's a win-win because on one hand, I think the conference is looking at the brand that comes with making the playoffs. Like I think years from now, no one's going to remember that it was USC that got to the playoff. And look, if you're looking for a silver lining uh, as a PAC 12 fan, if USC gets to the playoff, what they're essentially proving is that you didn't need to go to the big 10 to get to the playoffs. that you can get there from the PAC 12 conference. So on that hand, I think people would root for them. But if they if they get knocked out by Utah, I do think that there's going to be some people in the footprint of the Pac-12 who are snickering and going, yep, that's right. You you know, we don't want you going to the playoffs.
1: I love that. John Kazano joining us live from Vegas. He's on site for the Pac-12 championship game between Utah and USC. Uh, talking about the game itself, uh, the way you see it, John, what is the key to this game today? Is it just as simple as which star quarterback plays better? Or is there something else?
3: Yeah, and USC's taking the field right now. I don't know if you guys can hear it, <laughs> yeah. but a lot of boos from the Utah fans. As USC came out of the tunnel just now onto the field, uh, Caleb Williams is on the field now with the uh, with the offense but uh, as they're warming up. But, uh, look, Utah's got some questions to answer, probably more questions than USC. We saw Utah against Oregon just two weeks ago look very ordinary. They looked like an easy out. They didn't look like they were playing their best football. Cam Rising looks hurt. So pay attention early in the game. Is Cam Rising a threat as a runner? Is he able to keep the USC offense honest with his feet? Is he making throws that maybe he didn't make at Otson Stadium a couple weeks ago? If he can do those things, I think Utah can stay in this game. But in order to win this game, I think they need Caleb Williams to throw an interception or two. They need him to make some mistakes.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a tough ask, but we saw his performance in the way that the uh, the Beavers defended. I know some of that, he just sort of looked off in that game against Oregon State, but he is capable of being disrupted, isn't he?
3: Yeah, and, you know, Oregon, Trent Bray came on our show, what was it, earlier this week, and I asked him, you know, the difference between Caleb Williams and Michael Penix Jr., and he said that they had a harder time making Penix Jr. uncomfortable. They got to Caleb Williams, and Utah got to Caleb Williams a little bit too in their first matchup on October 15th. They sacked him three times, probably had uh, a couple of holding calls that weren't called on the USC offensive line. So pay attention early, like how tightly are they officiating this game? You know, will will they call the holding calls on that USC offensive line? Because I think the mobility of Caleb Williams often puts offensive linemen in difficult positions where they're reaching and grabbing, or maybe they're a little bit out of position.
1: You mentioned the officiating. I saw your tweet. Of course, George Kleofkoff addressing the uh, the Pac-12 uh, officiating procedurally speaking. He called it unacceptable. Uh, so, first of all, what's the over/under on an officiating controversy tonight? <laughs> Second of all, what do you what does addressing that look like to you? What are some possibilities there?
3: Yeah, look, uh, they've got to really get to the heart of the matter. It's the supervisor of officials, David Coleman. He is underqualified for his job. He had barely has any on-field officiating experience. The other conferences, that position is somebody who's been in the NFL, who's officiated a whole bunch of games. And, you know, David Coleman's just not qualified to have that job. And, you know, and I say that knowing, that. look, he's a nice guy. He's a veteran, served in the Army. Yeah, I mean, he's a good human being. It's not a personal thing. He's just not qualified to have that position. And so, that, first of all, that's addressing it. But tonight, like, this is supposed to be the brightest and the best of the Pac-12 officials. If they have procedural errors tonight, pay attention to that because that'll be embarrassing. It'll be the same old thing with, you know, coaches and fans bellyaching about it after the game.
1: Yeah, and that's what no one wants to see. We just want to see the best of the best the players. On the field, Uh, of course, some players not on the field. USC going to miss Travis Dye in this game. Yeah, I think they will. And you know, that's
3: another thing. You know, he was a big factor early when this first matchup when these two teams played. He was he was a very effective player for USC, and it'll be curious to see. Like Lincoln Riley said that yesterday. He said, you know, these are these teams have evolved. Well, let's see how they've evolved. Have they evolved in a positive way? Uh, And in Utah's and in Utah's defense if you're building a case for Utah to win this game guys you're you're looking at Andy Ludwig the offensive coordinator he had a lot of success in that first matchup he scored on 5 of the 6 last six drives of the game they got touchdowns so Keep an eye on uh, whether or not he figured something out in that first matchup.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic game. John Canzano at the stadium, Pac-12 championship game, USC-Utah. Trojans favored by three, over-under. Uh, was 67.5. Looks like that's jumped to 68. Before you go, I do want to ask you, what is your prediction for tonight?
3: Look, uh, everybody's saying everybody in this press box is saying USC by double digits. I'm going to go the other direction. I think this is going to be a super close game. I think that spread of three points is about right. I'm gonna pick USC to win, but I think this game comes down to a game winning field goal. Wouldn't be surprised if we see overtime.
1: I love it, man. That's what it's all about. While I've got you here before I let you go and get back to work, uh I did read your column today, you know, coaches being out recruiting, you know, Dan Landing out in Detroit. Jonathan Smith, so we got the news yesterday, Chance Nolan transferring, not necessarily surprised. You think Jonathan Smith is gonna be looking for an upgrade over Goldbrunson in the portal?
3: I think he's looking for a quarterback today and tomorrow and through the weekend. He is in he's in Wichita, Kansas today. He's going to Fort Lauderdale, Florida tomorrow. I'm told he's meeting with three different players in Fort Lauderdale doing in-home visits. Then he's going to Dallas after that. Then he's coming back to Corvallis for the bowl announcement on Sunday night and Monday. And then and then, you know, I expect he and his staff to get back get back out, but Jonathan told me this morning that all 11 Oregon State coaches are on the road in the next 3 days and they're all doing the same thing. They're all getting into two and three and four households. So they've got a lot of success to sell. This is new. They're a nine-win team. They're number 15 in the rankings. So I think it's a really different message for him in this recruiting cycle.
1: I love it. You know, And, John, I know on your way back from Eugene, look, in Salem you've got the burrito joint, but when you're down in (laughs) Vegas for the championship game, where is the spot to eat late night?
3: Man, I don't even know. I can tell you it's not in the press box. That's not there, but, you know, the great thing about Vegas is that, and fans that travel to these events will know it, if your team gets in this game, come see it. There's so much going on here, there's so much to offer, uh, you know, in different kinds of hotels, different kinds of experiences, lots of restaurants, so, you know, you make a two-day, three, two- or three-day thing out of it, I really envy the Utah and the USC fans and the Oregon fans last year that got a chance to experience this, so, If you get a chance and your team gets in this thing, make it a a trip.
1: I love it, man. I can hear the excitement through your phone. That crowd sounds great, especially considering we're, what, 40 minutes ahead of kick? Yeah, we are.
3: And, uh, you know, it's interesting. The Pac-12 network is here. They're doing a bunch of pregame stuff. And there's some good enthusiasm. they got a DJ that is working the crowd right now as the teams (laughs) warm up. But pretty good atmosphere. And this stadium, if people haven't been in it, Allegiant Stadium is Phenomenal! Like it, it is uh, just really well laid out. I think it's a better stadium than SoFi Stadium, which is hard to get around if you've ever walked around that stadium. But really nice venue. The Raiders did it right.
1: That's awesome! I love it, John Canzano. I appreciate your time, man. I'll let you get back to it, and I'm looking forward to the uh, column late tonight or uh, tomorrow morning with my coffee. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. (laughs) Appreciate you. That's John Canzano, the best in the biz right there, if you need him. Man, you could feel that energy coming through the phone. Like, Steven, that was the best of both worlds. We could hear him clearly. He could obviously hear me. But, man, you could just hear the roars in the back.
2: Yeah, so he initially called on his cell phone, and you could hear it, but it was like – it was kind of muffled, his voice. So he went to a landline, and he's like, is this better? I was like, yeah, I can hear the crowd. I can hear you more clearly. Like, I mean – you know, I heard that this game was a sellout. You read that it was a sellout, but yeah. you think back to a couple years ago at the Pac-12 title game when it was in Santa, Santa Clara. There's nobody there, so this atmosphere is awesome. You know, I think I think Vegas has really become you know the home of the Pac-12, and I think they've really embraced it. And the fans have done a good job because why would you not want to go to Vegas to watch your team in a championship game? I'm excited about this one, Peter. I you know I I'm I'm kind of with John. I do think Utah gets the win tonight. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, he said USC, but I think Utah gets the win. But all I'm really hoping for is just a good game to kind of put the Pac-12, you know, in the spotlight when everyone's watching them. I think it's be a fun night.
1: Yeah, man, it sure sounds like it. I mean, these are two teams. I- I'm not a fan, quote-unquote, of either of these two teams. But, man, just listening to him have to raise his voice and you hear the booze rain down on awesome. USC, that was awesome. I love that. Oof. I'm jealous. I wish I was there right now. But JC, man, that's why he's the best of the best. He goes where the story is. And uh, you know at johnconzano.com, he's going to have something great pumped out. Uh, Late night tonight delivered fresh to your inbox. Again, I said earlier in this show, there are only two – uh, I guess you call them newsletters, you know, that I subscribe to. One is John Canzano. The other one is Sean Hyken. I had both of them on the show today. Sean Hyken talking Blazers at 515. Pac-12 championship game. Utah-USC getting underway in just about half an hour. It's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a tight one, too. I don't see a USC double-digit win here. I could see USA winning. I could even see them covering and winning by, you know, 5, 6, 7. I could, I could see it. I just— Utah is no pushover, and I know that rising has been dinged up for a while, but we've seen defenses be able to sort of, like, Caleb Caleb Williams, he's sort of that guy, like, you can't stop him, but you can contain him a little bit. We saw Oregon State do that. And, I mean, we all know they should have won that game. They had ample opportunity to knock off USC. But I think that Utah might be able to make life just difficult enough for him. I know that it's not that USC is totally without a run game at this point, but I think they might miss Travis Dye if Williams is struggling. They don't have that guy that can just break off, you know, 90, 100, 105 yards in this game.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on that. And... You know, I know Utah's been struggling, but you know Josh Newman came on the show yesterday with Judah, and he mm-hmm. even mentioned the Utah defense has been playing a lot better. And I know they played Colorado, but you go back to when they played the Ducks in what was you know what was thought to be you know the game that they needed to win to get to the Pac-12 right. title game. They lose, but they only gave up what 21 points in that game. Mm-hmm. And I know Bo Nix was hurt, but then the next week Bo Nix goes out and leads the Ducks to 34 against that Beaver defense in Corvallis. So. I think that this Utah defense is rounding into shape a little bit. I don't think they're going to dominate the game by any stretch, but I think, like you said, they could contain Caleb Williams a little bit, slow him down, and I think the offense is going to be able to score on USC. They did last game, I believe what John said, five or six straight possessions in the second half. I think Utah's going to be able to score enough. I think Utah gets the win, and I think it's going to be a close one, but I think, again, the Pac-12 is going to cannibalize itself and hold itself back (laughs) from getting, getting to the playoff, but I think that's just kind of what it is this year. Um, But it's going to be an exciting game.
1: Wouldn't that be the most Pac-12 thing ever? I mean, I should have added that. We started the show with the list of things that we learned about the Pac-12 this year. I could have put my Nostradamus hat on and said, we know the Pac-12 will cannibalize itself. That's why Utah is going to knock off USC. I think I like USC in this game, but, man, I've got it it like 31-28, which I guess is hitting the under. I I think there's going to be some points. I don't know that it's going to go over, but I don't. I don't think it's going to be a super low-scoring game because, I mean, both these teams can score, man.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be—I think they're going to be tight a little bit at the start. I think both teams might yeah. be a little tight in the first half. And, you know, I think we're going to look up it's going to be 10-10, to 14-10 in the first half. And you're thinking, well, this is a lot low-scoring than I thought it would be.
1: And they'll break out in the Yeah, third. and then
2: this third, fourth quarter might break out a little bit. But I, I think you're right. I think the under is the way to go in this game. And I do like Utah. So I'm excited, man. I, I think Utah is ready for this. Kyle Whittingham earlier in the week said, everyone's already counting out. Everyone knows he says Caleb Williams got the Heisman. They're going to the college football playoff. And this is where we want to be. This yeah. is what we like. We like being the underdogs. So I'm excited to watch that.
1: Yeah, should be a great game. All right, we'll go away. Come back. More sports talk on the other side. Sean Hyken talking Blazers in about 40, 45 minutes or so. You're not going to want to miss that. I am Peter Sampson. This is the Bald-Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. to the
0: bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: It's a Black Sabbath Friday on the BFT. That's totally on brand for this show, right? Come in with some Aussie? Eh, yeah, maybe not. Well, that's what happens when the cat's away. The mice will play. John Canzano is in Vegas. He was on. He gave us a call last segment. If you missed that, uh, I'm sure that interview will be posted uh, shortly wherever you get a podcast. You can go to 750thegame.com. The atmosphere coming through the phone there, man. That was unbelievable. Man, it was loud. Loud cheers. Loud boos when USC took the field while he was talking to me. Man. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm jealous. I've never covered a uh, Pac-12 championship game. I don't know if I ever will, to be honest. But, uh, man, that really made me want to do it. That's so cool. So, so cool. 503-417-7575 is the number to call. I I was reading the news today, and uh, I found a story. You ever find a story you're just reading, you know, I don't know, you're reading the Times, the Wall Street Journal, whatever you're reading, and uh, it just makes you stop. Like, wait, what did I just read? You have to read it again? That happened to me this morning, and it was as I was drinking my coffee, you know, so I wasn't fully awake. I thought, man, maybe this caffeine hasn't kicked in yet. I had to have read that wrong. I had to have just imagined the words that just popped into my head. And if I did, it means I'm a sick, sick man. So I better double check that I read this correctly. A Mississippi man, (laughs) so you know it's good, has been arrested after he reportedly bit off another man's nose in an argument over a golf game. I'm going to say that again. In an argument over a golf game, a Mississippi man reportedly bit off another dude's nose following an argument. Now, I've been upset. I've been emotional. I've even been very angry in my life. I'm not an angry guy, but I have been angry in isolated situations. I've even been that. You know, where you hear about people like, I I just saw red, man. I went crazy. I I get that. You shouldn't do it, but I get it. I understand it. You got to resist that. I have never been bite off a dude's schnoz angry, ever. Not even close. But uh, Biloxi, Mississippi resident Mark Wells has been charged with one count of felony mayhem in the incident which occurred earlier this week outside the Hollywood casino. And you go, okay, was well, it just some young idiot got drunk playing golf and lost his mind. The guy's 51. Look, I know there shouldn't be an the age that you should know better than to bite a dude's nose off is 1 6 months, you know? Some kids struggle with biting. And by the, and they're one, and you have to go, no. And then they cry, and you do that three more times over the week, and then they never do it again. That's it. Mark Wells obviously never got that talk 50 years ago. 51-year-old dude bit off. He didn't just bite the guy's nose. Like, my cat bites my nose. She's just playing. He didn't just bite it. Like, I'm so mad at you, I'm going to hum, 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 hum. He bit the thing off. After arguing with the unidentified victim all day over a golf game they'd played earlier, Wells reportedly grabbed the man's head, chomped down on his nose, and ripped it off, according to police chief Toby Schwartz. Very important detail. The man's nose was not recovered, which leads me to believe that he kept chewing it. I don't know if that's true. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be graphic. I'm not going to get more graphic than that. But the man's nose was not recovered. So I don't know if it got left on the course. It got dropped in the 18th hole. Got thrown in the garbage can. Or it went in the dude's stomach. All the answers are bad. Man's nose not recovered. Wells was bailed out within an hour, which is uh, messed up in its own way. I'm going to be honest. If someone bites my nose off, I'm going to go ahead and ask that they at least spend the length of a Lord of the Rings movie in jail.
2: I mean, let's just say, you know, your kid would never do this, but let's just say Wesley bites a nose off. I might punish and be like, you bit a nose off. I'm not bailing you out. Yeah. You deserve to be in jail right now. Yeah. Like, whether (laughs) it's. Like, if that's my
1: kid, i you really stay in jail, yeah. man. Whether it's a kid, my father, a buddy, it could be, like, my be- you know, look, if you got lifelong buddies, you've been there when they've screwed up and they're in a jam, or maybe you're the guy that got in a jam and they had to help you out, and it's embarrassing, but, like, you know how it is. Like, you help them out and you don't ask questions. Now— I presume that bailing your buddy out is part of that. I've never had to bail someone out. I've never been to jail. So I've never had to be bailed out myself. But, you know, depending on the circumstance, if one of my good friends needed bail, I'd help them. I would. If they bit someone's nose off, they can rot in there. Truly. So according to Mississippi law, he faces up to seven years in prison if convicted. Look. I'm glad it's not seven days or even seven hours, you know, the length of two Lord of the Rings movies. But I've if you permanently disfigure someone else and not in an accidental way, you don't go, you know, Dick Cheney and accidentally shoot your friend in the face. By the way, the craziest part of that story is that the friend apologized. that's but that's a different story. I mean, what type of sentence should be given to someone? who intentionally permanently disfigure someone by biting and chewing off their nose, man. I don't know. I need more than seven years on that. I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big, uh, you know, punishment guy. You know, I'm not a uh, big uh, penalty guy, but seven years is not enough for getting a nose ripped off, if you ask me. It's just not. So, uh, now that I've reread that, I did read it correctly this morning. I wish I hadn't. What a terrible day to be literate. You know what I mean? You ever think that to yourself? You're scrolling the internet. You're uh you're reading the news and you just go, Ugh. "I remember when my parents were so excited that I learned how to read. And this is where it led me. Me reading about a dude in Mississippi biting another man's nose right off of his face in an argument over a golf game. What I thought golf was the gentleman's game. By the way, what sort of argument over a golf game precedes getting your nose bitten off by by your supposedly your friend? Like Stephen, what are you arguing about here?
2: I mean, there had to, there had to have been money on the line, right? Like there had to had have been had to have been a decent dollar amount. You know, maybe it's a lot, maybe it's a little to, compared to whoever, but to those people, it had to have been a lot of money. Because I don't see any other argument that you would have on the golf course. I don't see anyone being that competitive. Where, like, if you're just playing for pride, like, I'm not going to – I don't see anyone biting a nose off for pride. Like, when Mike, <laughs> Tyson, when Mike Tyson bit an ear off, it's because, you know what, he needs to win so he can get the championship belt so he can get more money. Like, that's why he's biting ears off. You're not biting noses off because he lied and he got a bogey instead of a par just for pride. It's got to be money. It has to be. Has, or, a, or a girl.
1: has to be. And, and alcohol involved. That, too. See, that this is why you should mask up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, like I'm going to continue to wear a mask just so no one bites my face off. You feel me? That's unbelievable. I mean, it was crazy when Tyson did it to an ear. And Tyson at the time, that was the craziest dude in the world. <laughs> like, and even then it was shocking. But uh, now 51-year-old Mark Wells is giving, uh, giving the champ a run for his money. So, uh, yeah, good luck, Mark Wells. See you in hell. All right, we'll go away and come back. More sports talk on the other side. I am Peter Sampson. In for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network.
0: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Back in, Peter Samson from Konzano. He's down in Vegas. Gave us a call earlier this hour. Sounded like it was rocking. Sports is always great in Vegas. Like, everything about it, even the the non-actual uh, being at the event sort of events. Like, I remember, uh, this is going to date me, but uh, uh, I was 21 in uh, 99, and we went to Vegas, me and some buddies. Uh, the NBA Finals was going on. We went went to the MGM Sportsbook. Uh, you gotta understand, man. There was you couldn't wager. There there wasn't DraftKings. You know what I mean. You went to Vegas. The finals were going on. Blasted on a this massive screen. Like a Stacy King, ex Chicago Bull champion, was there throwing down stacks. And man, it was it was uh, right after the uh, the Blazers series against the Lakers that shall not be named. Uh, happened, and we all knew that they were going to beat the Pacers. But, man, just being in the the sports book at the MGM during the finals, man, everything from super high rollers, again, celebrities were there, degenerates were there, kids that didn't know what they were doing, like me and my friends were there. It was just awesome, man. Have you ever done that, like a big-time sports book during a big
2: event? Yeah, I've been to Vegas probably six or seven times for the NCAA tournament.
1: Oh, yeah. See, got, that's what's up.
2: Yeah, I've gone there so many times for that. Um, I think I first went when I was like 23 or 24, and then it was so much fun. We just went every single year. And it's it's just awesome. Like, it's just a different environment, and everyone has a rooting interest. That's the thing is, like, everybody has a rooting interest there, and you see people just going crazy. Um, my wife, uh, we were just dating. We were there together. And there's a guy next to her that was just so mad at the game. I forget what the game was, but you know he cr- crumbles his and rips it off, r- goes off the other way, He's cursing. My wife is just celebrating. We go look like, at his ticket. It was five hundred bucks. My wife had like five bucks on the game. <laughs> but it's like at the same time, it's like yeah, like she's excited because she just won five bucks. She didn't care what this guy just lost five hundred right next to her. Right. So like that's that's the funniest part. Like I just love that kind of stuff.
1: It, yeah, that's the, like the best time I ever had in Vegas. Again, I, you know it was that time. I had, like, $300 to last, like, four days. Like, that's it. But it was my first time there. It was the environment. So, yeah, I certainly wasn't high rolling. But just being in that atmosphere, I've never done the turning down there. But, man, I imagine because it, it's all day. It's not everyone just getting hyped for the game. And then, meanwhile, you've got, like, horse racing going on or whatever. That's all day Four days, uh, I imagine you have. You're just sitting there. You're watching your game, and in another section, all of a sudden, there's just an eruption of cheers. As a you know, all of a sudden, the team covers a back door at the buzzer. Exactly, that's Great exactly stuff. how
2: it is, man. And it, it's a tiring process. Like we've gone for all four days of the first two rounds, and by the end, you are just exhausted. Because I mean, you're literally waking up, you're going down to make the bets at the book, and then you're watching basketball all the way up until ten o'clock. Yeah, and then you're going to bed. It's just like it is exhausting all the emotion but it is uh, it's a lot of fun. I I want to go back.
1: Well, Vegas is exhausting as it is, man. <laughs> like the perfect amount of time for Vegas is flying in in the afternoon, have that night, you know, stay out till like 4. Uh the next day and the next night and then you fly out the next day. That's it. 3 days, 2 nights. That is the perfect length of time for a Vegas trip. Any more than that, man, it just takes the life out of you and uh it can get too expensive. Uh it Get a little too crazy, I hear. <laughs> but uh I I need to set up we need to do a station trip to Vegas. That's what we need to do. We all should have accompanied JC and while he's covering this game, we could be out at the uh, out at Caesar's Palace right now.
2: Yeah, I, I would have been down for that. Come on, J C can't flip that for us.
1: That's what I'm saying. Make it happen. Yeah. the real the real thing though, uh, to do it more my budget, man, is you you gotta go in the off night. We have to go on like a Tuesday, Wednesday so they can open up dollar blackjack tables at the Tropicana or something like that. But uh yeah, it's been far too long, man. Have to get back. But uh the atmosphere at that game just sounded what, what sport, what event do you think has the best in-person atmosphere? NBA Finals, Super Bowl. Super Bowl's kind of corporate now though. Uh World Series, if you're talking like a game seven, uh the NCAA tournament, a final four, what what do you think has that
2: atmosphere? It it might be it might be like a NFL Conference Championship game. Yeah. Or a World Series Game 7. I think you're right on that. I think baseball... The way the atmosphere in the stadium for baseball game seven, I think I think that's gonna take that would be my answer. Game seven NBA or I mean MLB. Sorry,
1: yeah, that that's actually what I think it is too. Uh Because look, anyone that thinks baseball is boring, I'm not gonna tell you you're wrong, man. But it removes that boredom from the equation because every single thing matters so much. And instead of being a part, you know, a half full stadium and everyone's just there for the beer and the hot dogs and you know you're talking to your buddies or whatever, you're on the edge of your seat for every single pitch it's uh it's just great i I mean and you would say the super bowl but again i mean it's so expensive everything's corporate you know it's just it, it's all so sterile and controlled so i think you might be right a conference championship you know nfc conference championship game something like that might be the way to go in football
2: i mean what do you think of a nba playoffs, nba finals game and we would we don't know about an nba finals game here in portland but I mean, I've been to a couple playoff games, and the atmospheres are unbelievable. I can only yeah. really imagine, especially a place like Portland, if they are ever to get an NBA Finals, it would it would be right up there because it wouldn't just be like the corporate rich folks going; like the fans, like all the crazy fans would be going to those games.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, the year that Dame sent OKC home, and then they beat uh, Denver in that epic seven game series. I'm going to be honest in the, the first half of the first game against Golden State, I got a little ahead of myself. I was covering it, and I was like, holy cow, I might be covering an NBA Finals here in a couple weeks. Like, I'm going to be in the building for this. And, of course, the Blazers led every game in the first half and managed to get swept at the same time against Golden State, so it didn't happen. But being in the building for those, like, it was unfreaking freaking believable And I think, like, a Game 7 of the NBA Finals, like, here in Portland— I mean it's been so long, you know, and if they won, like people'd be crying in the aisles and stuff. But even outside of that, just going somewhere else and just watching like a like a Miami Denver NBA finals game 7 would just be such an intense experience. It'd be so great. I still think baseball might have a little bit of an edge. To it, just because I think the NBA is a little bit more exciting throughout the season than baseball is, even though I love baseball. So I think MLB fans, it's there's a little pent up energy that they need to let out. But man, it would be dope.
2: Well, and baseball's so regional too. Like I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. you know the national appeal for the NBA or the NFL would be great, but like the people in that area for those baseball teams, they love the, that team. They follow them 162 games a year. So. I think that's where, like you said, it's the pent-up aggression that they get from watching this team blow leads or you know whatever for 162 games, and now it might be accumulated with a World Series championship, so they go that much more, just insane.
1: Yeah, it would be great. It'd be great. I, I would, I've would. i never been to a World Series. I've never been to a, 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 a true championship game in any of the big sports. I've definitely been to playoff games here in Portland. I've been to a million playoff games, uh, but never an MLB playoff game. I'll tell you, though, uh, when the Mariners were on their run earlier this year I went up to watch the Braves and uh whew, you talk about an atmosphere where uh they were uh, in the final game of that homestand against Atlanta they were up seven to two Atlanta scored six in the top of the ninth to take the lead and then uh Julio Rodriguez and uh uh Eugenio Suarez uh both went deep in the bottom of the ninth to walk it off and I've I don't know if I've ever been in a stadium that loud. It was on Believable. All right, our number two in the books. On the other side, Sean Hyken going to join us in about 15 minutes to talk Trailblazers. We'll talk Nasir Little's injury. That news came out today, and we'll give you the 5 at 5 in just a minute. Peter Sampson in for Konzano. It's the BFT.
0: B F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Gonzano Here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth.
1: Final hour of the Bald Face Truth. I am Peter Sampson in for John Gonzano He is in Vegas covering the Pac-12 championship game. Going to get underway shortly. If you're in Portland, you get not one but two more hours of me. Of course, I finish up this show at 6 o'clock and jump right into my local show, The Pulse. With Peter Sampson. We'll have some fun. We always do on a Friday. Head into the weekend strong. That's what I like to do. I got one last day of uh fake bachelorhood left. Got an empty house tomorrow. Head into the weekend strong. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the sports. Maybe uh have an adult beverage to celebrate the end of the week. And then get back to it. It is five o'clock. Every day on this show, at this time, we bring you the 5 at 5. The
0: 5 at 5. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at swickert.com.
1: It's the 5 biggest stories in sports. First of all, first on your 5 at 5, NFL, Deshaun Watson. Oh, he's returning this weekend at Houston. You know, for all the talk that was uh, sort of going on with this story for the better part of a year, I feel like not a lot of people uh, are really bringing up this fact now that we're only two days away from Deshaun Watson's return. I'm sure he will be booed mightily, and that's fine, uh, because personally, I am not going to watch this game. I'm not going to watch any Deshaun Watson games. I don't care. I don't think it's an accident that his suspension was exactly long enough to let him return to face his old team in his old stadium and get the NFL a bunch of ratings. I will watch one of the pictures hanging on my wall instead. Second of your five at five. I can't believe I have to talk about this. Kanye West. I'm going to not talk about a whole bunch of terrible stuff he tweeted and talk about one thing he did tweet. He shared that uh, the Suns' Chris Paul allegedly slept with Kim Kardashian shortly before being suspended on Twitter. Kanye posted a picture of Kim and Chris and said, let's break one last window before I get out of here. I caught this guy with Kim. Good night. Uh, CP3 and Kim have not addressed the allegation. TMZ has since reported that uh, a source very close to the situation categorically denies it. That was Con- Kanye's last tweet before t- Twitter suspended him for uh literally posting a swastika, by the way. So uh adios Kanye. Wonder why Kanye decided to uh do that immediately after his divorce from Kim K was finalized. Like some of this it- it's not funny because it's like clearly mental illness. But also like I mean, I know people that struggle with mental illness to varying degrees, and they're not like bad people. I feel like Kanye is the uh, combination of, you know, he's unfortunately struggling with something very difficult. And I think a lot of people are enabling him, but also just think he's kind of a bad guy. And uh, both those things can be true at once. So, uh, by the way, that might explain Chris Paul, if that's true and a source close to the situation denies it. It might explain Chris Paul's playoff record. The Kardashian curse, you know? I thought about this. A Kardashian all-star team? If it's true, and I'm not saying it is, it was denied, but you'd have Chris Paul at point guard, James Harden at shooting guard, Ben Simmons at small forward, Blake Griffin at power forward, Tristan Thompson at center, you have a bench of Devin Booker, Chris Humphreys, Lamar Odom, Rashad McCants, and Jordan Clarkson. Steven, how many games is that team winning?
2: They're a playoff team. That's a playoff team. I mean, Devin Booker, Lee, you know Ben Simmons, that's...
1: James Harden, that's, Chris James Paul. Harden.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a 40... Jordan Clarkson off the bench? It's a 47, 48-win team.
1: I think it might be more, yeah, but
2: yeah. That's a 5-6 seed.
1: Yeah, I think it's a five seed.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, The the all-Kardashian team right there. There you go. That is the second of your five at five. Third, I did want to talk about this. Uh, Baseball Hall of Famer, two-time Cy Young Award winner Gaylord Perry passed away yesterday at the age of 84. He was the master of the spitball, even wrote a book about using the pitch. He died at his home in Gaffney uh, of natural causes. And he made history. He was the first player to win the Cy Young Award in both leagues. He won with Cleveland in 1972, San Diego in 1978. Just after turning 40, he went 24 and 16 in his debut season with Cleveland after 10 years with the Giants. He was 21 and six his first season with the Padres in 78. That was his fifth and final 20-win season. And he pitched for eight different teams from 1962 to 83. He was a five-time All-Star, made the Hall of Fame in 91. Won 314 games, struck out 3,500, and used a pitching style where he doctored baseballs or at least made batters believe he was doctoring them. I remember him. Uh, I remember seeing clips of him when I was a kid, and he would do a whole bunch of stuff. He would touch under his hat and his neck and all that, and a lot of times he wouldn't even be doctoring the baseball, but he would get in the batter's head, and then other times he was absolutely doctoring the baseball. And he even released in 1974, while he was still pitching, an autobiography titled Me and the Spitter. And he wrote that when he started in 1962, he was the 11th man on an 11-man pitching staff for the Giants. He needed an edge, and he learned the spitball from San Francisco teammate Bob Shaw. Gaylord Perry, a legend. When I learned about him when I was a kid, I tried to learn the spitball. I couldn't figure it out. I did learn how to discreetly scuff the balls around the seam so I could get more break on my uh, 12-6 curve. I did not learn how to throw a spitter. I still don't know exactly how to throw a spitter. Fourth thing in our 5 at 5, Portland Thorns FC head coach Rianne Wilkinson has resigned. That comes following the conclusion of an investigation into her conduct as coach... And just weeks after she led the Thorns to its third NWSL championship in her first season, she told The athletics she resigned following uh, the investigation. And while she was cleared of any misconduct, she felt she had lost the confidence of the team. She said she self-reported texts between herself and a Thorns player expressing feelings for each other. She reported that to the Thorns. She insisted no inappropriate relationship occurred between her and the player. Following a three-week investigation run jointly by the NWSL and the Players' Association, she was found to have not violated any league or team policy. The player, Emily Mingus, told The Athletic that she participated in the investigation and she wanted to be identified in order to avoid speculation. And how this came out, Thorn's players communicated their concerns about Wilkinson and Mingus to the team, then the league via a letter sent to the commissioner, Jessica Berman, on November 20th, the letter questioned the thoroughness of the investigation and potential retaliation had Wilkinson retained her role. So at that point, Wilkinson says, I've lost this team. They're concerned about retaliation. I'm stepping down. That's a, uh, that's a wild story. Honestly, I sort of ran through the details there. That that's actually a very wild story. A lot more details than what came in the press release to my inbox this morning. I'll say that. And uh, so very eventful two days for the Thorns. Obviously, the news yesterday, Merritt Paulson is selling the team. And uh, then today, head coach, Rand Wilkinson, uh, is leaving. And self-reported texts between herself and one of her players expressing feelings for each other. Final thing here, 5 at 5, we mentioned it earlier in the show, Evoca TV, the newest and cheapest way to watch the Trailblazers broadcast, has warned that it might shut down at the end of this month due to a lack of funding. Ivaka, similar to any number of streaming services, but it requires an antenna and a dedicated box to receive the broadcast packages. That package includes Root Sports, the network that carries Trailblazers games, That and the $30 price point set Ivaca apart from other larger services like Fubo. I know a lot of people were excited about Ivaca, but they sent out a notice to customers this week predicting an imminent shutdown unless more funding becomes available. Ivaca wrote in a note to customers, this is a difficult economy for a company like ours to raise the funding we need to grow. Should we be unable to raise more capital? We're sad to say Avaca TV will discontinue operations and programming on December 31st, 2022. And uh, a report also said, should a shutdown occur, Avaca will not charge customers for this month of service, December, and will not ask for the equipment to be returned. That's your five at five. We do it every day on this program. Some wild stories in there. I mean, there are days where the Ivanka thing would be the biggest story in that. But uh, uh, Chris Paul, Kim Kardashian, I don't want to spend too much time on that. Deshaun Watson's returning this weekend. Uh, feels like that's gone to the back burner. And this uh, this Thorns uh, situation is, uh, that's interesting. That's not one that I ever anticipated seeing.
2: Yeah, no doubt. You know, The Deshaun Watson thing, I think for, if you're the Browns, this is exactly what you thought would happen. People would talk about it, and then when he comes back, it's all about the football stuff, which is very sad, and I hope they don't. I hope they continue talking about what the bad things he did uh, continue going on. And, yeah, the Thorn situation has been just so insane. I mean, yesterday with the news, uh, Merritt Paulson saying he's going to sell the team. You know, what, what great, great, great timing. Now your coach is going to resign the next day. I mean, it's just a lot of things are being turned over, and uh, you're seeing the results and some change. That probably needed to happen, though, for the Portland Thorns organization. So, um, you know, things are happening, and hopefully at some point there's going to be a solution, and that'll just be what's happening on the field.
1: Yeah, it's it, frankly, it's really impressive. They, they were able to win a third championship yeah. this season with all of that going on. Hopefully... Next year is a better year for everyone involved in that organization. Really quickly, I'm going to add a sixth thing to the 5 at 5. Breaking news, Jacob deGrom signed a five-year, $185 million contract with the Texas Rangers. Wow. Jacob deGrom going to Texas. Going to be playing in Arlington. Arlington. I know the Mets desperately wanted him back. I know the Padres were chasing. My Braves were chasing. I would love to have Jacob deGrom in that rotation. When he's able to pitch, he's as good as it gets. He finished with a like a 3.05 ERA this year, which is horrible for him. But through his first uh, half of the season, which was only like 11 or 12 starts, yeah, he looked unhittable, you know, 1, 1.4, 1.5 ERA. He still has electric stuff, but can he stay healthy? Well, the Rangers are willing to bet about $37.5 million per year that Jacob deGrom can stay healthy. I mean, even if he does, that's more than a million dollars a start. If uh, he uh, plays like he has the last couple seasons, they're going to be paying about $2 million a start for Jake deGrom's services.
2: Yeah, I mean, they uh, they got the new stadium. They went out. They Bought Marcus Simeon, yeah. Corey Seager. So the Rangers not afraid to spend money. That is one thing for sure. And I think with Jacob Degrom, you know, like you said, as long as he stays healthy, he's the best pitcher in the major league baseball. Yes, he, he really is. So uh, I think you know it's a lot of money, and there are some injury concerns. But if you're the Rangers, you look at that division. The Mariners aren't going to go anywhere. The Astros aren't going to go anywhere. You got to make some moves to try to compete with those two teams.
1: Yeah, so uh, MLB hot stove starting to heat up here on December second, and of course the fifth thing at the five at five. Vodka TV sounds like it's going away, so if you use that to watch Trailblazers games, you're gonna need to find a new method. Coming up in just two minutes, we're gonna talk some Trailblazers. He. Has uh, He's covered the entire league. He does a great job with his venture, Rose Garden Report. He is one of the best in the business. Sean Hyken is going to talk all things Trailblazers. I'm going to see if he can uh make some sense of what's gone on with Portland over the last two and a half weeks or so. They've dropped eight of nine, or excuse me, seven of eight, eight of ten. We'll catch up with Hyken in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Peter Sampson in for Konzano. It's the BFT.
0: To the bald truth with John Gonzano on 750.
1: The game. Welcome back in, Peter Sampson in for JC. He's down in Vegas, the Pac-12 championship game, which is about to get underway. Portland Trailblazers. They're in. A, I'm not going to call it a free fall, but they've lost seven of eight. Things are not going well. Uh, for Portland, I know some fans are uh, stressing, some fans are gripping. I'm not there yet, but the uh, the hits keep coming. Portland might be getting Damian Lillard back uh, against the Pacers, but now the news com- comes out: Nasir Little out, uh, expected to be six weeks with a uh, mild femoral head impaction fracture. Basically, he uh, has a little fracture in his hip right there. Uh, not great news for a banged up team. Here to talk about it uh, from Rose Garden Report, my friend Sean Heiken. Sean, man, first of all, did I see you were at the Patty Smith show yesterday? I was, I was. How? I, I, that. How was it, man? Was it good? It was cool. It was. It was.
4: It wasn't really, like really a concert. It was hmm. more so she was, I guess, touring to promote her new book, which they they actually I haven't looked through it yet, but they actually gave everybody who went to the show a copy of oh, the wow. book, so I have it but it, it's basically a t- type of thing where like she took a picture every day for a year and like wrote stuff about it. And then, and then part of the show last night, like it was, it was, it was a thing presented by Powell. So hmm. it was like a half show, half book tour thing where like she did perform a few songs, but a lot of it was her like talking about the book, but it was interesting. Like she's a legend. And I'm glad I got this. The opera, you know, she's, in her mid 70s. So, you know, whenever somebody's that old, you you want to take the opportunity to see someone like that while you have the opportunity. So I'm glad I went. It was really cool. Though. It was interesting.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. That same mindset, I've kind of uh, fallen into that this year with a lot of these acts. I don't know how much longer they'll even be touring or even with us. Like, so just in the last few months, I took my eight year old, the Ringo Starr. He's a huge, you know, Beatles fan. I got no love right. for the All Star band, but it was actually really, really fun. And you go, man, he's 82. Uh, last month, I went and saw The Who as well. And, you know, it's funny. I remember, you know, being a little punk rock snotty teenager, you know, like making fun of my dad when he was excited that the Eagles got back together or something like that. Now here I am uh, getting stoked when I get finally a chance to see some of these legacy acts.
4: Man, I saw The Who in like 2005 or 2006, and Roger Daltrey's voice was already gone back then. I can't even imagine how it was now.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you. So it he looks like a grandpa like in Boca Raton in like a white sweatsuit, and it wasn't right. great, but then and Won't Get Fooled Again, man, The uh, they, they hold the break for a long time, and he chugs a bunch of water and stands over for 30 seconds. He nails the scream. And then he had to <laughs> chug a bunch of water again and then was mediocre. So I think everything was just built up to that one 10-second scream.
4: I guess so. I saw Roger Waters a few months ago at the Rose Garden and it, it was it was it was good, but def- definitely like he had some of the backup singers doing a lot of the heavy lifting for him. So
1: yeah, you know, it it happens. It comes with it. Real yeah. quick, I I do want to talk Blazers and the big Nasir little news, but I always have to ask you what you're listening to these days. You I, I, you have impeccable taste. What's uh What's doing it for you right now musically?
4: Well, I'm actually going to see that in, in a couple of hours after I get off with you. I'm actually going to see the New Pornographers at mm. the, uh, Aladdin Theater. So I've just been going back and revisiting some of that stuff lately.
1: That's awesome. I didn't know that they, they were at the Aladdin. That's a nice, intimate venue to see them. That To me, yeah. that's an underrated band, too. Like, I know they're big in, in like, quote-unquote indie circles, but I always felt like sure. they need a little bit more love than they got.
4: And they're they're good live, too. I've seen them before. I've seen Nico a couple times solo. So mm. it, it, it should be fun. Nice, man. Enjoy
1: that. Well, I will, uh, I will talk some Blazers with you. I don't want to take too much of your time, but... What's going on with this team, man? Like, you knew that eventually corner threes were going to start actually falling against them. Game winners might stop going. But I said the way that they were playing earlier this season was pretty sustainable because it was so much of it was defensive effort. But is this let up a case of letting their foot off the gas, some things regressing to the mean, or are they just really banged up and going through a rough stretch of the schedule right now? I don't think it's an
4: effort thing at all with them. I, I think, and I think part of that is because over the summer when they were revamping uh, the roster, there was a lot of self-selecting for the types of guys that you don't have to worry about the effort with. I just they're they're. I mean, any eighty-two game season, the only team I can think of that never went through any kind of a rough patch during an eighty-two game season was. The Warriors, the years they won seventy-three games, or like maybe a couple of the years after that when they had Kevin Durant, the team just was like dominant from the start. Every other team in the NBA—good teams, bad teams, mediocre teams, whatever the case may be—even like some of those LeBron Miami teams went through stretches where you know they didn't look good for a couple weeks. And you know the Blazers are incredible, as you said, they're incredibly banged up right now. Every you know with this Nasir Little injury, and he had already missed the last game uh, when he first had the hip injury, but. With the Josh Hart ankle injury where he missed uh, last night's game, or not last night, uh, was it last night? No, it was two nights ago against the Lakers. I'm sorry, I'm getting like, my dates all mixed up because this week is running <laughs> together. But he missed the, he missed their most recent game against the Lakers. He was the only one of the rotation players at this point in the season that hadn't missed at least one game up to that point. Nurkic has missed a couple games. Dame obviously has been in and out with the cap thing. Anthony Simon's missed a couple of games with the foot thing early on in the road trip. Jeremy Grant missed a game. Nurk has missed a couple of games. Drew Eubanks missed a game on the road, uh, on on that last road trip. Like pretty much everybody, Justice Winslow, like everybody who has like gotten real minutes for the Blazers this season has missed at least one or two games, if not more at one point or another, which, you know, I don't want to sit here and say, Oh, you know, the Blazers should just, you know, use all that as an excuse for how they're playing. But, You know, because every team is going to go through that stuff during, you know, over the course, like I said, of an 82-game season. But they have had a lot of guys out of the lineup and a lot of key guys at a lot of different times.
1: Yeah, see, that's where I look at it. I mean, they're still 500. They had one of the toughest schedules so far in the NBA, and they had no Damian Lillard for half of it. Uh, At what point would you start to worry? I know a lot of Blazer fans are gripping a little bit, and I think it's just because of the whiplash, right? You're not looking at the overall season so far through 22 games. You're saying, well, we've lost 8 of 10. But, I mean, I'm personally not going to be worried unless there's uh, more, you know, major injury news. Or you look at this December schedule, which on paper doesn't look too difficult, and maybe you continue to uh, lose more games than you should. At what point do you start to worry?
4: What I've said since August. So the schedule came out in August, and that's when you kind of start to look at it and map out. Okay, this is where you're going to check in on this. And this is where you want to, you know, you want to be at a certain point. I said at that time that if they are at five hundred or even within range of five hundred at Christmas they're fine because they you know, look at the early part of their schedule, the teams that they've played so far, you know, they, they played, you know, they played Phoenix three times already. Phoenix has been the best team in the West so far. They played, they played Denver. They're playing Denver again, coming up. They played Milwaukee. They played Cleveland. They played, uh, you know, you just, you know, you just go down the list of teams. They have played a lot of good teams and they, they've already had one, uh, six-game road trip they had a four-game road trip that included Cleveland and Milwaukee or two of the best teams in the East and they have another six-game road trip coming up before Christmas that starts in a couple of weeks so if they can just get through that schedule the second half of their schedule like like basically after Christmas the month of January I think they have I don't have the schedule in front of me but they have like 10 or 11 home games in the month of January and a lot of their games post trade deadline and post all-star break are against like the Oklahoma cities and the Houston's and the San Antonio's and the types of teams that you should beat, And even if those, some of those teams look tougher than expected right now, by then those teams are going to be fully in the Victor uh, sweepstakes mode and resting guys. And so they should be able to pick up a lot of wins there. So I said the whole time that if they could just get to 500 and tread water by Christmas, they're in great shape. And I still think that like, I, Going back to, you know, I, I said this, like, they look terrible in the preseason, and a lot of people online, you know, I follow, you know, what fans are saying online, just like everybody else does, a lot of people are saying, oh, this team sucks, like, they need to blow it up now, like, this, this, I, I said it after that preseason, where they didn't look good, that, you know, that wasn't indicative of anything, and I think and I thought they'd be fine, and then they start off the season 10-4, and four and I was saying, you know, I think they're good, but I don't think this 10-4 and four start means suddenly they're a title contender. And now what they've lost seven of the last eight. I still, my expectations for them are kind of still where they've been the whole time. I'm not, you know, like you said, barring some sort of, you know, if like, like, okay, like let's say Damian Lillard has like a real long-term injury and misses a lot of time. Mm-hmm. That obviously would change some things, but you know, barring any of these guys having a real long-term injury, that's really going to keep them out an extended mm-hmm. amount of time. I'm they're They're right where I thought they'd be. They're right where I expected them to be. And, Their schedule is only going to get easier from here. So I think overall, you know, this last couple of weeks and, you know, the losing streak and all these injuries haven't been ideal. But overall, I think they could be in a lot worse shape considering the amount of injuries they've had and the the types of teams they've played and the amount of road games they've had. Like, I, I think they're fine.
1: Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report. You mentioned the injury, so of course the news came out just, what, about an hour ago now. Nasir, a little out six weeks with that hip injury. I mean, obviously, we've already covered Blazers banged up. What does that do rotation-wise? And obviously, you feel bad for Nasir. You had an excellent—it ended up being a two-parter interview with uh, Nasir over the summer. Aside from just I root for the Trailblazers, therefore I root for Nasir. I'm rooting for him, man, because like I don't really want to call him injury prone. It's been so much unrelated stuff. It feels like it's just kind of a, a you know bad luck, the luck of the draw that it's happened. But you feel for this guy so much. He's worked so hard. So I mean you've obviously spoken to him and you can sort of relate that he was, he was coming. This was going to be his year. You know, he had said as much. And then what does this do rotation wise? How do the Blazers fill those minutes?
4: Well, you're absolutely right that he just keeps having these sort of unrelated setbacks with health stuff and a lot of just kind of freak stuff. And it sucks for him, but you know, and it, you, you kind of, you, you know, just from the perspective that he has about this stuff. Remember he's about the, but right before the regular season started, he signed a four-year, $28 million extension. And, you know, the kind of the snap reaction to that was, wait, that's way below what his market value would probably be if he hit restricted free agency. And we talked to him about it the day that it, it happened at practice. And this was kind of consistent with, you know, I've gotten to know him a little bit. You know, like said I did that interview with him over the summer, but, like, I've gotten to know him a little bit over the last, you know, six months or so. And it was consistent with his perspective where he was like, look. I want to be in Portland. I could probably make more money if I hit free agency, but, you know, $28 million is a lot of money. I'm just going to take that <laughs> one it's in front of me. And now, you know, you look at this, you know, but what if he hadn't signed that extension and said, I'm going to bet on myself and make more money. And then he has this injury that keeps him out six weeks. That probably hurts, you know, what he'd be, have, you know, be able to get in free agency. And now at least like it sucks for him. And I knowing him, I know, you know, how much this is hurting him and how much he wants to get back out there as soon as possible, but at least he already got paid and he got the long-term security and he doesn't have to worry about his contract situation. In addition to worrying about rehabbing this injury. So there's that, that's the personal part of it for him. But as far as the rotational stuff, uh, there's, there's a couple things here. One, we don't know yet when Gary Payton, the second is going to come back. I think it's, Will probably be in the next week or two, and if there's not, if he isn't back in the next week or two, then you can actually start to worry about it. But I think he'll be back soon, and that'll obviously help. And then the other guy to keep an eye on to me is Jabari Walker, who, you know, second round pick, standout of summer league, has looked really good when he's gotten out there because he's gotten in in a few of these games when different guys have been in and out, but he just hasn't been able to get a lot of minutes because it's hard for a rookie to be able to crack a rotation, and they just have so many guys at that position. But now. I don't really see anybody else that is right in line to just step in and take those you know, 10 to 15 minutes a night that Nasir was playing. So I could see this being a big opportunity for Jabari Walker.
1: Yeah, I love that idea. I mean, Walker, he's one of those guys, like, you watch him – and there's maybe not one specific thing that really jumps out at you, but every, he does everything pretty well. You can tell he just knows how to play the game. Like, wow, he's a pretty good passer for a big man. And, oh, okay, that was a nice shot there. And defensively, well, you know, he doesn't have the quickest feet, but he knows how to use them. Uh, he's looked really good, but you're right. It's been just a, a matter of opportunity. Uh, so I love that. How's, have you had a chance to talk with him? How, where's his head at? I know he's not playing that much. Does he understand, you know, it's just a matter of, look, you got to earn your time you were a rookie I haven't talked to him recently but I
4: was really impressed with him at summer league we you know I was out there in Vegas for the first few days of summer league and we got to talk to him a lot and you know uh, most of you don't know this obviously but his dad is Samaki Walker who was a 10-year NBA veteran and you know was on a couple of those Shaq and Kobe Laker teams and played for the Mavericks for a while and was kind of a journeyman in the NBA but you know he had a good respectable 10-year career and something Jabari Walker said that I thought was just an incredible amount of perspective and, you know, insight to have for a 19-year-old kid is that his dad taught him that when somebody says you're a role player, that's not an insult because that just means you have other ways that you can impact the game from besides scoring, and you can make a lot of money and stick in the league if you're willing to, like, work hard on defense and rebound and do all that kind of stuff, even if you're never going to be a featured scorer. And so the fact that a 19 year old kid already kind of has that perspective and that self-awareness about his career makes me think that he's, you know, he, he knows what's going on. He knew coming into this situation that, you know, he's not getting drafted to a team that's tanking and is just going to play their young guys and let them play through all these mistakes. You know, the and Sharp thing is a little bit of a different thing, but, uh, You know, somebody like Jabari Walker, like if he got drafted by like Houston or Oklahoma City, he would be probably starting right now or just getting a ton of opportunities. But on a team that's trying to make the playoffs, if you're a rookie, especially a second-round pick, you're not going to crack the rotation right away. But, you know, you have to be ready, you know, in case, you know, like something like this, where, you know, this is your little injury, he's going to probably have to play regular minutes now. And from what we've seen in the sporadic minutes that he has, I think he's at least ready to fill that spot, if not more.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Shaden Sharp. Uh, it looks like he's maybe hit the uh, rookie wall a little bit, but man, every game he does something that makes you just sit up and go, "Whoa!" I mean, even even you know a miss dunk. There have been multiples of those. I mean, I try not to get as a Blazer fan, and at my heart, I am a fan of this team. I have to fight it sometimes, so I try not to get too hyped on uh, some of the young players. But man, he he's got. So much potential. I mean, who, who do you who do you cop with? Just looking at the raw ability.
4: Well, the obvious ones are the what the one the ones that Chauncey Billups went with when he was asked about it or Brandon Roy and Vince Carter, which is pretty lofty. But you know what? I would tell you, and I would tell any other fan, go ahead, get excited <laughs> about it. They, they haven't had a rookie like this that like people are this excited about since. Really, since Dame, because even CJ didn't really play that yeah. much his rookie year, and he had the broken foot, and so it wasn't like he comes in right away and he ends up being as good as he is, you know, right away his rookie season. So yeah, go ahead, get you know he weighed for you know he, like you said he he has hit a little bit of a wall the last week or so, and we asked Chauncey about that on Tuesday, and he said that part of that is just that teams have him on the scouting report now, and he's not like coming out of nowhere and surprising people, and you know the you know players and coaches are knowing to look for him, and then he also, just because he's a 19-year-old kid who hasn't played, you know, high-level competitive basketball in 18 months, he still has some defensive mistakes and stuff that he has to learn, and that's contributed to some of the struggles. But I'll tell you this, he was way further along, you know, at the start of this season than I thought he was going to be because if you go back to that preseason, he looked awesome in the game against Maccabi, which is not an NBA team. And he looked awesome in the game against the Warriors G-Leaguers when they weren't really playing any of their main guys. But the games that they played against actual you know, NBA-level opponents and competition when teams were playing all their guys, he looked like he was pretty lost out there. And so I thought that it was going to take like, until now or until maybe like halfway through the season or the All-Star break or something like that for him to be able to be far along enough in his development that he would be able to actually be in the rotation every night. The fact that he's playing... From night one, he's actually playing real minutes on a team that's trying to make the playoff. And for the most part, like you said, he's hit a little bit of a wall recently, but he's been playing and he's been productive right away on a team that's trying to be good and isn't just tanking and developing young guys. Like That's already more than I expected out of him right away. So yeah, go ahead, get excited.
1: About I love it, man. Sean Hyken from Rose Garden Report. Man, I, I love the format. I love the content. How's it been striking out on your own? Like, has anything surprised you in the pro? How long have you been doing it now? How many months has it been?
4: Uh, About six months. It started at the week of the draft.
1: Yeah. So, so just how has that process been? Is there anything that you didn't expect that you sort of encountered or uh, how's the whole process uh, been for you?
4: It's been fun. It's been a little bit of a slow growth. And, you know, it's, I, it needs to get to a different point as far as numbers it's 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 pretty similar to what you're you know the guy you're filling in for john canzano has been doing and he and i have talked a lot during this whole process and he's given me a lot of really good advice about it but you know i'm still kind of feeling it out it's still feeling out like how much stuff do i put behind the paywall how much stuff do i make available for free the thing that if you want to just talk about like a you know maybe an administrative or technical thing that you didn't even think about but and something that maybe I took for granted when I was working for like Bleacher Report or The Athletic or USA Today or whatever, those are real companies and those companies pay Getty and the AP for oh, yeah. a license for all their photos. And so they can just use whatever photos they want. I don't have the rights to that stuff. So I have to just use like either photos that I took where, like, I just, like, I'm at a game and I take a picture of the court from my phone. It's not going to be very good quality. Or I use, like, a screenshot of YouTube or a screenshot of, like, somebody's social media. So that part of it is a little bit annoying. But overall, like, the thing that I've enjoyed about it, I think, the most is that I don't really have to, like, there have been times when there have been, you know, reports that have come out about, like, oh, well, is Damian Willard going to get traded here or here? And I know that it's not a real thing, but, you know, at other outlets that I've worked for, because that's the kind of stuff that those outlets want and the stuff that they care about, I still have to write on, even though I know it's not a real thing. That kind of stuff, like, I can just ignore that stuff if I want to now. If I don't think it's a real story.
1: I love it. Sean Hyken, I look forward to getting your content delivered directly to my inbox, man. Keep it up. It's fantastic work. I'll let you go. Enjoy the show tonight. We'll catch up soon, my man. Yeah, good to talk to you, man. Anytime. Sean Hyken, one of the best in the biz, man. Give uh, Give Rose Garden Report a subscribe. I'll tell It's the best six bucks I spend a month sourced and I mean directly sourced, Trailblazers reporting right to my inbox, and you just heard it from him. He doesn't have to do clickbait garbage because it it draws eyeballs. He doesn't have to, well, here are the three trades. If Damian Lillard decides to go, they, he doesn't have to do that. Instead, he sits down and does a two-part long-form interview with Nasir Little and talks about his contract. Instead, he's at every home game and covering it from press row. It's fantastic stuff. I've been I've been reading Hiken a long time, going back to his work covering the Bulls with the Athletic. I am glad he's here. I went long on that one, going to go away, come back on the other side. More sports talk ahead. It's the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano
0: on 750 The Game.
1: Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Kanzanos, It's the Bald faced Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Kanzano is down in Vegas. He is covering the Pac-12 championship game at this moment. Look for his column later today. Maybe early in the morning, but I'm sure that thing's going to come out tonight. I appreciate Sean Hyken joining the program. Nice, long conversation about what's going on with the Blazers. And I think he hit it on the head. Look, every team... Goes through a rough patch. (laughs) The only team he's seen that hasn't done that was the 73-win Warriors team. And that's true. Like, every team goes through something like this. I'm not panicking yet. If they go through this month, though, and uh, they continue to lose at a pretty substantial rate, then I will be worried. One thing he said, Steven, is he expects uh, GP2. To be back in about a week or so. If not, then that's the time to worry. Boy, they need him, don't they?
2: Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. That you know, he seemed uh, you know, obviously he knows some things, but to say that within a week or if not, it, it could be really long and be worrisome. I thought that was very interesting because they do need him back. That that is a guy that the Trailblazers need because that defense has definitely regressed and down at number twenty-four in the league right now. They need a guy. That is all about defense, and that's Gary Payton, uh, the second game. He is all about the defense. Offensively, he's a good cutter, uh, decent offensive rebounder for his size, but defensively, man, he is elite. So the Blazers need that guy, and especially with the Nasir injury now, GP two has got some you know minutes to fill off that Blazer bench. So I think I think it is key to get him back, and hopefully, uh, Hikins right on that it is within maybe a week or two, and then they can get it back and uh, get it as healthy as possible.
1: Yeah, I hope so, and I I know I don't even blame fans for gripping. You know what I mean? Like you tune in, you've had a hard day at work, whatever. You fought traffic for 55 minutes to get home. You finally sit down. You have to make dinner. You got to get the kids taken care of, all that nonsense. You finally sit down and you just want to be entertained. And then this team that was doing well is now playing some bad basketball. I totally understand it. But again, just taking that long view, they've had a brutal schedule. Their stars only played in half the games. Everyone else has missed time. And there's still 500. That to me is promising i'm not stressing yet but i mean i see it out there i see a lot of fans starting to turn on anthony simons a little bit and uh i'm not i'm not there like i do think that he develops tunnel vision at times i think sometimes we saw just on this uh quick little trip that he even deferred a little too much at times when he needed to maybe uh take over a little bit but when i say that and i've said that on these airways i'm I'm, like, nitpicking. I mean, ultimately, man, with Dame out, think where this team would be if Simons wasn't out there. So, I, while I do think he has areas of opportunity to grow as far as when to take over and when to maybe facilitate and find a wide-open shade and Sharp in the corner repeatedly, yeah, he does need to develop that a little bit. But he's, he's 23, man. Wasn't Dame 23 when he joined the Blazers? Like, He's still figuring out, okay, how how do I operate next to Damian Lillard? How do I operate when he's out and I need to be the guy? But even when being the guy, how do I get Jeremy Grant still involved? How do I get Josh Hart facilitating? How do I find this guy for the corner three? Um, I nitpick it, but that's not the problem. Anthony Simon is not the problem.
2: No, and you touched on it. 23 years old, and this is his first real taste of a team trying to win and him playing consistent starter minutes every night. He's averaging almost 24 a game. Yeah. So, I mean, I used, I know the shooting percentage is a little down. The three-pointers are still a little down, uh, but he's still making 38%, which is a solid percentage for over 10 threes attempted a game. I mean, that's a pretty that's solid good. percentage. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's not an Anthony Simon's problem. Um, th- there are some deficiencies in his game, but at 23, you would hope that he's still going to improve, especially on the defensive end. But he may just be a guy, Peter, that is going to get points, and he's never going to be that – Elite lead guard. He's never going to be a point guard where he's going to facilitate for others make other players better He might just be a guy that can get 25 points a night and go from there, which is fine and usable But I think I think a lot of Blazers fans want him to be You know a Damian Lillard light where he can get his other teammates involved. I just don't know if he's that player.
1: Yeah In what I say to a lot of fans and again, I I have even said like man He gets tunnel vision sometimes but in general. I'm good with the amount of shots. He's taken like We're not just seeing one-on-one basketball. The Blazers right now have three 20-point-per-game scores. They've never had that, if that holds the entire season. And frankly, I don't know if it will. Uh, Because I think when Dame comes back, I think to a degree, Jeremy Grant's scoring will probably dip down a little bit. When he joined the team, uh, I kept Sean way too long. Uh, I wanted to ask him two things. Because he covered the NBA as a whole before he started covering the Blazers he's seen a good amount of Jeremy Grant. Did he expect this out of Jeremy Grant? Personally, I didn't. I expected this style of play, but on a few fewer shots. I was looking for maybe 16 points a game. Still might end up there uh, if they get healthy. And I wanted to ask him if he had any idea why Josh Hart has decided he doesn't need to shoot the ball anymore. I know some maybe he doesn't have lift on the ankle. He's really banged up. But even before that, it's like he's lost his aggressiveness. when uh, just, just when shooting, he's still rebounding like a, crazy man and he's defending and doing all those things but he doesn't shoot anymore
2: yeah it is weird it just went away and because he shot the ball well when he was here in Portland you know for the 10 or so games that he played and even throughout his career he shot the ball decently he just has forgotten about that shot and he is not aggressive looking for it Peter you know you talk about Jeremy Grant playing maybe above your expectations he's definitely been above my expectations yeah is there a guy on the Blazers that you have really, really been impressed where they've Overachieved and a guy on the team that you think has underachieved so far this season? Uh, Drew
1: Eubanks has overachieved, in my opinion, or maybe this is just who he is now. This offseason, I was literally saying, well, I'm so happy for the local guy. That's not an NBA player. Uh, I apologize to Drew Eubanks uh, I, I, if he's listening. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Like, 100% I was wrong. I take it back. Uh, Drew Eubanks has been perfect for this team, especially when they need to play a little bit more up-tempo, but they don't necessarily want to go small. Maybe they're going up against an athletic center that still has some size. You know, they can go justice there, Jeremy Grant there. But if Nurk, who has really come on as well and has been played pretty well, but if he gets played off the floor, Drew Eubanks has been perfect. I love that. I've also, frankly, been really impressed with, with Shaden Sharp, even though he's hit the wall. I didn't even know if this guy was going to play. I thought he might be in the G League all year. We had no idea. So both those guys, to me, have been great. And then, obviously, Jeremy Grant. Man, the the games in New York, that Knicks game, he it, it, not to discount Simons and his 30-whatever points, but Jeremy Grant put this team on his back and willed them to the win with his uh, 43, I think he had. He tied his career high. Man, it feels like he's shooting like 90% from three this month. Even with all the struggles, if he catches the ball in the corner, that thing's going in, man. It's been incredible to watch. But hopefully some W's start to follow that. All right, we'll go away. Come back one final segment on the other side. And then if you're in Portland, my local show, The Pulse picks up from six to seven. I'm Peter Sampson. In for John Canzano, it's the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on
0: 750 The Game.
1: Final segment of the program. If you're in Portland, leave it here. You get another hour of me. On the Pulse from 6 to 7, if you're not in Portland, grab the podcast of that program. Grab the podcast of this program, and you can listen at your convenience, commercial-free. Really quickly, I just saw this come across my desk. Uh, Blazers president Dwayne Hankins shared some loose plans of renovating Moda Center with the uh, goal of hosting the uh, NBA All-Star Game by 2030. He was on the Sports by Northwest podcast and so he says the Blazers are committed to making a major renovation to the Moda Center in coming years that could make them a more attractive city to host the All Star Game. Blazers, one of two teams to never host an All Star Game. Of course, uh, smaller markets get passed up a lot. The NBA has rewarded Salt Lake City as the All Star Game host this season. It's this the first time in like 30 years. Uh, next season, it'll take place in Indianapolis. So it does show that they are warming up to smaller cities, which makes sense. I mean, the NBA, it's so much of a more connected, you know, you can be a big-time player in a small market. It doesn't matter as much. I mean, Damian Lillard's essentially the face of Adidas right now, and uh, that's here in Portland. I would love to see that happen. I would love to get an all-star game. The complaint used to be hotels. Uh, I sit here in downtown Portland on the sixth floor of the uh, beautiful Pac West Center in downtown Portland, and I look out my window and I see uh, multiple hotels, not to mention all the ones that have been built around the convention center in the Lloyd District. There's space now. It's not the hotels. So I don't know exactly what renovations need to be made to Moda Center. I mean, by NBA standards, it is a little bit of an older arena, 95, I believe it opened. Uh, but it's still... Nice. But uh, anything they need to do to make that happen, it would be fantastic uh, for the team. It'd be fantastic for the the city, the state of Oregon as a whole. Of course, Portland just awarded the women's final four in a few years. Uh, so it looks like maybe uh, some uh, you know associations are sort of open to allowing that to happen again. More to come on that. With that, I'm out of time in Portland. Leave it here. I'm hosting the Pulse from 6 to 7 for Stephen Vaughn. I'm Peter Sampson. This has been the Bald Face. Truth on the BFT Radio Network.